the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. It's the Dave Ellswick Show, and yeah, it's me. I'm back. I'm back in the chair. I'm ready to go. We're going to get underway with a very special guest right off uh, the bat. Edwin Walker is going to join us. You know, crazy things go on in this country all the time. Judges do weird, weird stuff. City councils do even weirder stuff. And when it comes to guns, people, for whatever reason, always get weirded out, especially people who have never used them or have not been around them or whatever, or they think that uh, they need to do something about them because it'll get them more, more votes. Well, gun rights groups... Uh, are asking a judge to block the northern Chicago suburb of Deerfield. And see, this is near and dear to my heart. I grew up outside of Chicago. I grew up in northwest Indiana uh, over in the Hammond Highland East Chicago area, who they now blame for all of the guns that they have in Chicago. But this northern uh, suburb of Deerfield uh, is trying to enforce a ban on certain semi-automatic guns. A Lake County judge has scheduled a June 8th hearing, that's Friday, on a request for a temporary restraining order against the band that's uh, scheduled to take effect uh, next week on the 13th. The Chicago Tribune reports the attorney for the uh, Illinois State Rifle Association and the Second Amendment Foundation argue that the injunction is needed to prevent village residents from facing confiscation of their weapons and $1,000 a day fines before courts decide on the lawsuits. According to Fox News, residents will be required to hand in their semi-automatic firearms or face heavy fines. Residents could face fines of up to $1,000 per day if they do not comply with the ordinance. Current or retired law enforcement personnel are exempt from the law. So uh, the question is, what's the chance that the law is permitted to take effect? And if so, will it be overturned in court? And joining us is Edwin Walker. He's the uh, program attorney for U.S. Law Shield. It's one of the nation's leading gun rights advocacy organizations. And Edwin, thanks for joining us today on the Dave Ellswick Show. And uh, this is crazy stuff that we're seeing uh, uh, suburbs and we're seeing cities. I mean, Connecticut is a perfect example of the AR-15 and how the the, the governor attacked the AR-15s of law-abiding uh, citizens there. I, I think that that was stopped by the citizenry. In fact, a lot of them said if they started taking the guns, they'd show up on the main thoroughfare standing and displaying those, uh, those guns. So can you give us a uh, an update on where we're at at this and, and what exactly is coming down. Yes. Well, first I want to thank you for having me on the show. And uh, I think that you know people really, really need to be aware of this because it shows how nefarious the anti-gun folks are. And, of course, one of their mantras that they've had for years and years and years is we just want common-sense regulation, 
Nobody's coming after your guns. Nobody's going to take your guns. And we have seen, you know, we have known for the longest time that this was untrue. And now hopefully the general public is finding out that this is untrue as well. They certainly do want to come after your guns, and they want to ban guns because all of their common sense regulations uh, are, they involve the, the eventually, you know, the prohibition, the registration, and the eventual confiscation of a huge class of firearms that they have randomly deemed to be, quote-unquote, assault weapons. And, of course, you know, these efforts have failed on the national level. They have failed mostly on the state level. Um, and so these anti-gun folks began targeting local communities, particularly left-wing communities, uh, like those that surround very liberal areas of the country. We see it a lot in California. We're seeing it in Chicago, uh, where the city councils will take it upon themselves to make these very draconian firearms restrictions in their, you know, within the borders of their city. Now, the tactic in, in Illinois, what the Illinois Rifle Association has said, and the reason that they're pursuing this uh, injunction is because they say that Illinois has a what we call a preemption statute. And most states do have preemption statutes. Um, the, my home state of Texas has a very strong preemption statute. And basically what a preemption statute says is it says that that the state government reserves to itself particular areas that they are allowed to regulate, but cities are not allowed to regulate. And so Illinois has one of these uh, preemption statutes. And so that the Illinois State Rifle Association is saying that this gun ban uh, violates that. And so that the, that, uh, the city does not have the authority to impose this gun ban. But, you know, looking at the bigger picture, and of course, one thing you have to realize is that since the cases of Heller versus D- D.C. versus Heller and Chicago versus McDonald, um, which are the two most important second order cases that we have from the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court has not taken another case involving a gun regulation since then. And so, unfortunately, it has left district judges and courts of appeal judges to decide whether or not particular bans violate the Second Amendment. And unfortunately for us Second Amendment advocates, these lower courts have refused to find that any firearms regulation violates the Second Amendment. And so it's allowed states like Connecticut and Massachusetts and then also cities like uh, San Jose and another city in, in California to impose these draconian regulations, and they've been upheld as constitutional. So that's why the Illinois State Rifle Association is saying, hey, this statute violates state law, but not necessarily, you know, they they, they do still say it violates the Second Amendment, which it certainly does, but they're relying on the state court to impose, uh, to to intervene, and not a federal court. All right, Edwin, how can a local municipality override the U.S. Constitution? Well, in theory, they cannot. Every every government action has to meet constitutional muster, whether it's a, you know, just the, the act of enforcing a law by a city or a police force or the act of creating a law by a, by a internal government entity, a city council, a county commissioners, uh, you know, state legislators. They all have to abide by the Constitution. 
And so, yeah, you can argue this act can violate the Second Amendment. But like I said, unfortunately, until the Supreme Court says it doesn't violate the Constitution, then district judges, and particularly there's one in Massachusetts who said that the Massachusetts law doesn't violate the Constitution, and only the intermediate courts of appeals have said that it doesn't violate the Second Amendment. Now, that is a position that we vehemently disagree with. But until the Supreme Court says otherwise, you know, the, the, the legislators are going to continue to pass this anti-gun legislation. And that's why people have to realize that it's, the, it's not just the courts that are the keepers of our Second Amendment rights, but it is legislators as well. And so people need to, to find out how their legislator, whether it's a city councilman or state rep or a congressman, how they feel about the Second Amendment. And I want to point out to your listeners something that's really egregious is that whenever these anti-gun folks say that they are – they just want reasonable, common-sense gun control legislation, and they just want to ban assault weapons, and, and that is a term that has become the bane of my existence because – it's a, it's a false term when applied to regular consumable you know, firearms. They're available to the general public. They're not assault weapons, but yet these folks, the media and the anti-gun folks insist on calling them assault weapons. The U.S. Congress currently has a bill pending, House Resolution 5087, and this is an extremely dangerous bill because the way that that bill defines assault weapons, it would basically outlaw almost Every single semi-automatic rifle, so every single semi-automatic rifle goes away, and a great deal of semi-automatic handguns, uh, including the standard magazines on almost all these firearms. It imposes a magazine limit of 10 rounds. Most handguns do not have 10-round magazines. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they have they have 15 round, 17 round, 20 round magazines as their standard magazine. Um, you know, the only the only real handgun that has a uh, that has a magazine capacity of less than 10 rounds is either a basic 1911 uh, or one of your you know subcompact carry models. And so that is an extremely extremely dangerous bill. And yet there's 176 Democratic congressmen that have signed on to that bill to support it and to be co-sponsors. So, you know, people really have to start looking at their elected officials as to whether or not they're going to uphold the Second Amendment. Now, hopefully the courts, the state courts in Illinois will step in and say cities in Illinois cannot pass these overreaching gun control measures uh, because they violate Illinois state law. Well, how can somebody was bringing a lawsuit about this? Can't they take it out of state court and put it into federal court because it deals with the federal constitution? Yes, but that's not a good strategy in this case. Okay. Because because federal courts would be more inclined to follow the precedents that's been set in the Fourth Circuit, in the Ninth Circuit, in the Second Circuit, to say that these uh, assault weapons bans, quote-unquote, have been upheld as being constitutional. So there's been three circuit courts already that have held that the New York state law is constitutional, the Maryland law is constitutional, and the California law is constitutional. So getting it in, in federal court would not be a good move at this point because the best argument is that this, this city law violates the state law, and that's where a state court has jurisdiction to make that ruling. All right, so in some of these other uh, states, uh, Connecticut, Massachusetts, whatnot, 
Has anyone showed a propensity to pursue this up to the Supreme Court? Has the Supreme Court denied to hear any of these cases, or have they just not been uh, put on their docket to be looked at? Or has none of the uh, Supreme Court justices have decided that they don't want to take a look at it? Yeah, the Supreme Court has affirmatively decided that they don't want to take a look at it. I mean, the most important one was a case out of uh, the Fourth Circuit, which upheld the Maryland. Maryland has got an exhaustive list of rifles that are outright banned in the state of Maryland, uh, including, you know, most of our common sporting rifles, all variants of AR rifles, all variants of AK rifles, about uh, 80 different specifically named rifles that are prohibited. The Fourth Circuit... uh, upheld those, that ban as constitutional, and the Supreme Court affirmatively said that they were not going to review that decision. And that caused a that caused uh, Justice Thomas and Justice Gorsuch to issue these dissents from them not taking the case, but it hasn't altered the fact that since McDonald, since Chicago versus McDonald, which was the last prominent Second Amendment case that the Supreme Court held, uh, the Supreme Court has turned down over 70 appeals. Uh, they've turned down over 70 potential cases that would have reviewed the state and local laws that are, uh, that are gun prohibitions. Hmm. Any idea why people are watching this? Have any idea why this has happened? And for my listeners, edification, can you explain how you get a case to be heard before the Supreme Court? Um, the Supreme Court does not have to hear all cases of constitutional issues that are brought to it. Uh, there are 14 courts of appeal across the United States, and these 14 courts of appeal are authoritative. They only answer to the Supreme Court. Only the Supreme Court can overrule them. And so whenever you have a case where you say, this law violates my Second Amendment rights, it will be heard by a federal district judge, who sits in, you know, who, who can have the case brought before them. That district judge issues an order. That order is appealed to a court of appeals. The court of appeals will have a panel of judges, a three-judge panel, that will hear the case, and that will decide the case. And then the loser of that three-judge panel has the option to say, we want the entire court to hear it. And that's exactly what happened in the Fourth Circuit was that the three-judge panel initially ruled that the Maryland law did violate the Second Amendment. And the state says, well, we want the entire uh, Fourth Circuit court to hear it. Right. The entire Fourth Circuit court heard it. They ruled in favor of the state. They found it was constitutional. Uh, the people who were challenging the law then petitioned the Supreme Court. It's called a petition for a writ of certiori, which means that the Supreme Court says, we want to decide that case. We don't believe, you know, we want to either have an opportunity to, to validate what the Court of Appeals did or we want to have an opportunity to distinguish what the Court of Appeals did or overturn what the Court of Appeals did. And unfortunately, the Supreme Court has complete discretion on cases that it hears and doesn't hear. And unfortunately, since 2010, they have used that discretion to turn down every opportunity that they have had to review a uh, state or local gun ordinance. So how many Supreme Court justices has to uh, say they want to hear a case. Is it a majority? Um, it, it, it is. It is. A, it's not a majority, but it is more than you know. It is more than two. Okay, so more than two have to agree to it. Uh, is this a case where we just need more 
conservative judges on the Supreme Court to to uh, get some of these cases in front of the Supreme Court, or is the Supreme Court just showing some hesitancy to get into uh, you know battles on the Tenth Amendment? Well, keep in mind that the Supreme Court doesn't make these broad-reaching declarations. I mean, we saw that just this week whenever they decided the Colorado versus the Masterpiece Kate, uh, case. Uh, they could have said, you know, freedom of religion trumps any kind of LGBT civil rights ordinance. Mm-hmm. They could have said that, but they don't because, they, because that is exceeding their authority to make legislation. They can only review the law that is directly in front of them and how it was applied. And so that's why in this, you know, uh, this cake case, this wedding cake case, they said, we believe that the state actor acted improperly when disregarding the religious held beliefs of this cake maker. So they didn't throw out the statute. They didn't say the statute was a violation of, you know, the First Amendment. They didn't say that every application of the statute was a violation of religion, they made a very narrow ruling specific to that. So in Heller McDonald, the only issue, the only right that was affirmed is that there was this pronouncement that the Second Amendment in you know embodied an individual right, which was fantastic. But they said that that individual right, so far as, as it was applied in Heller and McDonald, only said that a private person could not be prohibited from having a handgun in their own house for self-defense. And so that means that every other gun uh, regulation out there has to go through this constitutional vetting. And unfortunately, like I said, up until now, all the statutes that have been challenged on Second Amendment grounds have been upheld by lower courts. And until the Supreme Court takes a case and says, this statute banning uh, AR-style rifles is unconstitutional, then you're going to have a push by the anti-gun folks to try to get these passed in bodies that are small enough for them to control, like a city council, like a county commissioner's uh, a panel, or you know, like a state legislator. And that's one of the unfortunate things is that one of, one of the, the colloquialisms that I like to say is that, especially dealing with cities, that the smaller the kingdom, the larger the tyrant. And unfortunately, these cities can get away with having just a few people come in, control the city council, and pass the most onerous draconian laws that they want. And unfortunately, it affects, you know, obviously everybody who lives in that city, which in this particular situation uh, is going to involve people who are going to ultimately have to give up uh, their rifles or move out of the city. All right. Edwin Walker is our guest. Uh, he's the program attorney for U.S. Law Shield, one of the nation's leading gun rights advocacy organizations. Uh, so, Edwin, where where are we now? I mean, what's your thoughts about what the future brings? If we get a new Supreme Court justice, do you think we may uh, see some uh, some differences uh, happen uh, first of all, I guess my question for you, I know that you, this is not your expertise, but do you think Kennedy is going to uh, step down and is Trump going to have to put a new Supreme Court justice in? And if that happens, does that change what we're seeing happening on the Supreme Court? Well, every vacancy on the Supreme Court has the potential to change the court um, to a particular ideology. But of course, you have to remember 
that Supreme Court justices are independents and they can change over time. I mean, you know, after Parkland, we heard Justice Stevens, retired justice, say we should repeal the Second Amendment, which is absurd. It is, that is an absolutely absurd position. Sure. Uh, and people were saying, well, Justice Stevens is a Republican. Well, he's not a Republican. He was appointed by Ford. He was a Republican. But back then, you know, we really didn't have these political litmus tests. And, you know, some of the most liberal judges ever on the Supreme Court have been appointed by conservative presidents. So you really can't judge which way a, a, a justice on the Supreme Court is eventually going to turn. But, you know, certainly replacing judges who are outspoken advocates against certain rights, like the Second Amendment, uh, would go a long way in getting the Supreme Court to finally take up some of these issues and rule that some of these state and city ordinances are, in fact, violations of the Second Amendment. All right. So, Edwin, where, where you're sitting at right now, what do you think happens on Friday? Well, I certainly hope the state court will see that this ordinance does, in fact, violate the state law of Illinois. Um, because that's where, like I said, that's where we're going to have to, you know, that, that's where the fight is going to be. It's going to be in these state legislators. And so, you know, the, the Illinois, the Illinois preemption statute, it's not as strong as other state preemption statutes. Like I said, the, the Texas statute, the one that I remember, it is black and white. I mean, it specifically says cities will not regulate the possession or transportation of firearms. Um, but the, the Illinois statute, not as strong. Uh, so hopefully the state judge will find that it does cover something that's so broad and overreaching like this. And keep in mind, I hope that your listeners, the ones that love liberty, uh, will, will keep in mind that this, this anti-gun fervor that we're going through, these advocates, this is the first time that I can recall uh, where they are pushing for legislation that would outlaw a an a inanimate, inanimate piece of personal property. I mean, imagine that. You have a piece of personal property that is 100% legal one day and becomes a felony the next. That has never happened before in U.S. history. I mean, even prohibition, even the the sort of the, 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 the case that we all point to to say, oh, government, you know, look, look how government regulated this particular substance or object. Even prohibition only outlawed the manufacture, transportation, and sale of alcohol. It did not outlaw the possession of alcohol because previous to this, and we kind of lost our way when recognizing what liberties our country was built on, uh, prior to this, it was never thought that the government could actually outlaw the possession of a previously legal inanimate object. And so for, for a city to believe that they not only can say, we're saying this is illegal, but guess what? We can also, if we believe that you have one of these objects in your house, we can bust into your house and take it and put you in prison for it. It's just an outrage. And people really need to look at this on a fundamental liberty level. All right. Edwin, we're out of time. I appreciate it. Edwin Walker, our guest from uh, the U.S. Law Shield. We'll keep our eye on this, and we'll get back in touch with you and hear more from you here in the very near future. Time for our news. We'll come back after that. We're going to talk about D-Day 74 years ago, June 6, 1944. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, 
You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940-41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. That happened 74 years ago. That's the uh, Supreme Commander. Dwight Eisenhower, who went on to become President of the United States. Let me give you five things you probably didn't know about D-Day, and then I'm going to tell you some facts and figures about D-Day and and how huge that uh, was really, uh, Operation Overlord, and how big it really was. General Eisenhower had his doubts about the operation and prepared a letter of resignation and apology, but misdated the letter for July 5th instead of July, or yeah, for July 5th instead of June 5th, because this was supposed to kick off on June 5th, but the weather was uh, not conducive for the uh, onslaught, so they waited until the 6th. It's understandable that he felt that way, since the invasion was being carried out by 175,000 troops from 12 nations, including us, Norway, Canada, the United Kingdom, Australia, and Belgium against the resistance from the Germans. Uh, But it was very successful. In fact, the beaches were secured in less than seven days at the cost of about 10,000 allied lives and uh, just 1,000 German lives. In an elaborate ruse, massive amounts of uh, fake information were fed to the Germans, including chatters on the radios about tank engines needing to operate in temperatures below zero and uh, the need for other parts and, and pieces that needed to be in in different places. So they couldn't figure out exactly, the Germans couldn't figure out exactly where this was going to happen. Because the Germans didn't know where the Allies would strike, they knew they were going to strike. They knew that they were going to come. They knew that they were going to have a huge offensive. Well, the British put together an imaginary army 
and it was placed in Essex and Kent in England to make the Germans think the invasion would be in France at uh, Calais. It included fake uh, planes that they had out there, destroyers, vehicles, airstrips, and camps. Uh, Juan Garcia, a British double agent known as Garbo, fed the news to the Germans, and it eventually reached Hitler himself. Then there was Gustav the Pigeon. Did you ever hear about Gustav the Pigeon, Russ? Well, Gustav was a gutsy carrier pigeon. That's the way they used to send messages at times during World War II. Uh, He brought the first news about the Normandy invasion. The note carried by the pigeon said that Allied troops were within 20 miles of the beaches and the first troops had landed with no interference or enemy planes in sight. It took Gustav five hours and 16 minutes to reach uh, London and deliver the message. And then finally, and this I found to be really interesting, there is an unlikely hero during the invasion, and his name is Andrew Jackson Higgins. He's the man who designed a boat that could go into shallow swamps, he was from Louisiana, to retrieve lumber without getting grounded. So uh, what do you think that they used that boat for? Uh, Russ, what do you think they used that boat that could go into shallow water and get lumber in the swamps? How would they use that during, you know, uh, D-Day? Holland troops that's exactly right that's where they got the whole idea for the uh how to get the troops on the beach because they can he could come in on very very shallow shallow water drop the front let them out and he got a uh, contract with the government and produced 20,000 of them to use to transport the troops at the landings at Omaha Utah Gold, Juno, and Sword Beach during the Normandy invasion. And, of course, those uh, boats were used uh, during the time of the Pacific as well, uh, during the island hopping campaigns over there. A lot of people don't understand. Well, if you're a millennial, you probably didn't even study this in history class. I'm going to school you a little bit about how huge this really was. I mean, it was a huge operation. Let's just start with the figures of the Normandy landing, the deployed forces for it. The number of U.S. soldiers deployed to England on D-Day, 1,527,000. The number of personnel on board Allied ships on D-Day, 287,000. The number of Allied soldiers and paratroopers engaged in Normandy on June 6, 1944, 156,115. The number of Allied soldiers who landed on June 6, 132,000. The number of Allied sailors engaged in Operation Neptune, 25,000. Number of British soldiers who landed on June 6th, 
73,000. The number of U.S. soldiers who landed on June 6th, 59,000. The number of German soldiers in the landing areas, 40,000. The number of U.S. soldiers disembarked at Omaha Beach, 34,250. The number of British soldiers disembarked at Sword Beach, 28,845. Number of British soldiers disembarked at Gold Beach, 24,970. Number of U.S. soldiers disembarked at Utah Beach, 23,250. Number of Canadian soldiers disembarked at Juneau, 21,400 soldiers. 15,500, that was the number of Allied aircraft, hunters, bombers, transport, reconnaissance, and gliders on June 6th. The tonnage of Allied bombs dropped on Normandy all day of June 6th, 10,395 tons. Number of Allied attack and support aircraft on D-Day, 9,500. The tonnage of Allied bombs dropped on Normandy during the night of June 5th, 6th, 7,616 tons. Total number of vessels deployed during Operation Neptune, 6,939. Now, if you've ever seen the old movie, The Longest Day, there's a great scene where the Germans are watching the English Channel, and there's a fog sitting on the channel, and it lifts. And the lookouts are looking out onto the English Channel, and all they see is ships. Thousands of ships. And to be exact, it was 6,939 ships sitting there along those beaches, not on the beaches, off offshore, ready to uh, disengorge those troops that I told you about and send them in to battle. The number of vehicles landed on Juno Beach on D-Day, 3,200. Number of Allied bombers engaged during the night of June 5th and 6th, 2,218. Number of Allied aircraft and gliders used during the night of June 5th, 6th, 1,900 U.S. vehicles disembarked at Utah Beach on D-Day, 1,742. The amount of tonnage of material landed by the Americans in Utah Beach, 1,695 tons. 832 number of uh, Americans who parachuted in. 7,900, the number of British paratroopers dropped on June 6th. 360 is the number of Allied pathfinders dropped over Normandy. 225, number of uh, Allied pathfinders dropped over uh, Normandy as well. Uh, 225, number of American rangers of the 2nd Battalion engaged uh, on June 6th. 177 that's the number of soldiers of the French Commando Kiefer 
that landed on Sword Beach and 15 number of different nations and regions involved in allied forces for Operation Overlord. Now, I'll t- here's a good one for you, uh, Russ. With the newspapers of, of today reported how small uh, this whole uh, operation was since only 15 nations made up the coalition. You know, that's just a small number of the number of, uh, of countries that could have taken part in this. And only 15? Surely we shouldn't get involved in something like that. Just saying. We shouldn't. Stop calling me Shirley. <laughs> All right, here's your deployed equipment. I haven't got to material losses yet. This is deployed equipment. 200,000, that's the number of beach obstacles installed by the Germans along the Atlantic Wall. 200,000, number of Allied vehicles of all kinds landed in Normandy on June 6th. 11,590, and I don't have what that exactly was. 708 Canadian wounded and missing in action on Juneau Beach. 630 British losses on sword. 413 British losses on gold. 355 number of Canadian soldiers killed on uh, Juneau Beach on D-Day. 197 uh, U.S. losses on Utah Beach on D-Day. Uh, 41 French losses of the Kiefer Commandos on June 6th. 31 number of French commandos injured on D-Day. 10 number of French commandos killed on D-Day. Two officers, eight commandos. And 11,590 American troops lost their lives at Omaha. Need to take a break. I'll give you the material losses when we get back. And then I'll give you the human losses. Killed, wounded, missing or made prisoners of war uh, in just a moment uh, as well. D-Day, June 6th, 1944, the day uh, we started making inroads into Europe, getting ready to break the back of the real Nazis. You people who call people Nazis out there and just flippantly make that, that, uh, that, uh, that statement have no idea, most of you, of what you even talk about. Don't have a clue. Don't have a clue. All right, don't forget about our good friends at PI Roofing Home Solutions. They've added Home Solutions because Joel Johnson, uh, the owner of uh, PI Roofing, understood that fixing your roof and uh, stopping the water from getting in was only one major step in this whole process. That water that gets into your house does its own uh, destruction as well destroys uh, drywall, uh, causes stains on the ceiling, on the, uh, the, the side of your, your walls, destroys insulation, gets in the ventilation, does a lot of damage, and uh, you need to get somebody in there who can fix it. You need one contractor that that's what they do, all of it, and that's PI roofing. They'll take care of every part of it. They'll take care of the interior painting, exterior painting. They'll take care of the carpentry work, the drywall repair. They can do pressure washing for you, ventilation, insulation, all of that. PI Roofing takes care of it. It's a one-stop shop now. They're great, great uh, information that you can get and and help that you can get in a very bad situation. Their phone number, 501 
687-6246. On the internet at PI Roofing or piroofing.com. All right, so we went over deployed equipment. We went over uh, people who were deployed on the beaches. Let's go through the material losses, and uh, then we can go from there to the uh, missions performed and then the human losses of those killed, wounded, missing, or uh, prisoners of war. Material losses, it's amazing. I told you almost 7,000 ships uh, took part in Operation Neptune. That's the operation of getting the troops out on the English Channel and then overlord when the whole thing swept into the shore. Uh, 120 was the number of Allied ships damaged. Only 59 Allied ships were sunk. 27, uh, the number of American amphibious uh, ships that went in uh, that were uh, sunk. 850, let's, let's look at missions performed. 850, 15 were the number of German Air Force Luwafa, Luftwaffe aircraft available on D-Day. Only 815. That shows you that our aggressive strategy in the air had paid off big time uh, by the time D-Day came up. 200, the number of warships participating in the naval bombardment of 6 June. Battleships, monitors, cruisers, and destroyers. Now the cost of D-Day. 10,500, the number of Allied casualties on 6 June at midnight. Killed, wounded, missing prisoners. 10,000 estimated number of German losses on 6 June. 6,000 U.S. losses on D-Day. 3,800 number of Allied soldiers killed as part of Operation Neptune. 2,500 U.S. losses on Omaha Beach on D-Day. Remember, 11,000 went on on the the shores. 2,500 of those men were killed on the beaches of Omaha. And 1,063 Canadian losses on Juneau Beach on D-Day. Huge losses during that time. I've always said that if we had to fight World War II over again, I don't know if the American people would have the guts to do it. I mean, the losses there are huge. The losses in the war in the Pacific and some of the amphibious uh, assaults were uh, bigger than that, Uh, like on Iwo and stuff like that. The number of men who died right there on the beaches never never got a shot off Um, were, were monsters. I don't know if we have it in us to ever have to do something like that again, hopefully never will have to do something like that again. All right, so uh, June 6, 1944, next year will be the 75th anniversary. That would be a great thing to go to. That would be something else to be over there to celebrate uh, D-Day and remember those men uh, that uh, did so much in that time. All right. Got a minute to the news. We'll come back. We're going to be talking to some folks about what's it mean, uh, that uh, Supreme Court decision for here in uh, Arkansas about 
uh, giving out uh, abortion drugs. We're going to talk to uh, a lawyer for National Right to Life. They're going to join us here in a moment on the Dave Ellswick Show. Stay around. we got more coming your way. Let's get get into the uh, 3 o'clock hour here on the Dave Ellswick Show. It is a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the week day, over the hill day, closer to Friday than we were on Monday. I'm back uh, from vacation, and uh, we've covered a couple of really uh, good subjects thus far. We talked about this deal that's going up in Illinois and Deerfield where they're trying to confiscate people's weapons. And if uh, the police find out you have the weapons and you haven't given them up, a 1000 a day fine. And by the way, they can break your door down to come in to see if you got the weapons or not. If they have, uh, you know, good uh, information saying that you do. So now I want to talk about something, a couple of things. In fact, I want to talk to Rachel Busick. Uh, she's a legal counsel, Americans United for Life. Uh, big story here uh, today dealing with the U.S. Supreme Court and something that went down on Monday. They vacated a lower court ruling that allowed a pregnant immigrant teen to have an abortion. Now, we talked about this story several weeks ago. Uh, but the justices refused to reprimand her lawyers for allegedly misleading the government. This is something we talked about on my show uh, over time. What do you do with people, especially lawyers who are supposed to be there to uphold the law, and they mislead the judge, and they screw the whole legal process? What do you do to those people? And uh, this makes we got some good questions for, uh, for about this. The justices, in an unsigned opinion with no dissent, said the unidentified teenager's individual claim for injuncti- injunctive relief, the only claim addressed by the federal appeals court, became moot after her abortion. Uh, Rachel is with us again from Americans uh, United for Life. She's been with them since 2018 as staff counsel. Uh, her work focuses on focusing on litigation, defending pro-life laws in the courts, where she works with state legal offices, pro-life health group, uh, uh, health care groups, and other allies. She tracks litigation affecting life across the country, files briefs in federal and uh, state courts. So let's uh, bring her up. Hello, Rachel. How are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having me. Okay, so how crazy does this uh, does uh, does this uh, drive you? You're here. You are. You're doing everything you can uh, to uphold laws and to find justice in the laws, and you have a uh, an attorney uh, that uh, circumvents the laws and, in fact, lies about the law. It's very disappointing uh, if. In fact, all of this information that the government was saying is true, that these attorneys um, intentionally misled uh, the government attorneys and omitted relevant information and uh, took advantage of the government's disclosure that they were going to file an emergency stay application in the Supreme Court um, and uh, decided to have the abortion early to avoid that. Um, It's very disappointing that someone who's uh, taken an oath to uphold the law and is supposed to be uh, the highest 
representative of the law would uh, go to means like that to um, circumvent the law. So, you know, all that happened, what, they, the justices refused to reprimand her lawyers for allegedly misleading the government. What does that say about the Supreme Court that, what, that, okay, so uh, one child died. What's the big deal here? I mean, that's that's the message that I hear. You know, is that the message we should hear uh, across the nation? I mean, this is crazy stuff. I, I think it's slightly more complicated than that. Uh, is as you might know, there was um, almost a six month delay from the first time the justices uh, heard this case in the conference to when they issued the opinion, which there's speculation over why there was such a delay and it could have to do with over what to do about this um, request for disciplinary action. Um, Because this is such a fact intensive, um, a fact intensive uh, decision that they would have to make. They might not have wanted to start trying to get into all the facts. They would probably need to bring witnesses to find out what exactly happened. Um, And so I don't think that, all of the justices, for sure, would um, would not take this seriously. Um, and as the court even said in their opinion, they do take these allegations seriously, but they didn't have to decide the factual dispute to answer the underlying question of the case. But it is, as I said, very disappointing that they didn't do more to um, call out this behavior. All right. So let me turn it to you, and you can give my listeners kind of a, a rundown exactly what this case uh, was about. Uh, this is what Azar versus Garcia or uh, Garza uh, that we're talking about. What exactly happened? So there was an unaccompanied alien minor who was caught trying to enter the United States illegally. Uh, she was held in custody at the Office of Refugee Resettlement or ORR. Um, and she was put at a federally funded shelter in Texas. Um, At the time, she was eight weeks pregnant, and after her initial medical examination, she requested to have an abortion. The problem arose when um, ORR refused to help facilitate that abortion because ORR has a policy that absent emergency medical situations, ORR personnel are not are prohibited from taking any action that facilitates an abortion without direction and approval from the director of ORR. Um, this is in accordance with the position of um, the Department of Health and Human Services under which ORR falls, that the federal government is not obligated to help a minor get an abortion, um, and that they can, the uh, government can choose policies favoring life over abortion. So the ACLU sued, saying that Jane Doe was constitutionally required uh, to receive an abortion and that ORR has to help facilitate that abortion. The district court agreed um, and said that Jane Doe has to be able to attain an abortion immediately. It got appealed to the D.C. Circuit Court and a panel of three judges vacated that decision and said that um, even assuming she had a constitutional right, ORR's policy was not an undue burden on that right. Mm-hmm. Uh, their reasons for that decision was because the uh, Jane Doe was able to leave the government's custody by requesting voluntary departure 
or she could identify a suitable sponsor, which would also take her out of the government's custody, and then the government would no longer um, have to facilitate an abortion, and she had other means to obtain that uh, without the government. Um, that decision got appealed to the entire D.C. Circuit, um, so the en banc court, and they reversed the panel decision and said that the government had to make Jane Doe available in order to obtain the counseling required by the state to obtain the abortion procedure. So this is where, um, as you mentioned, the, the actions of the um, ACLU attorneys um, started getting pretty dubious. Um, so that decision of the en banc circuit was on October 24th. So they told the government attorneys um, in ORR that they uh, planned to take Jane Doe on the morning of October 25th at 7.30 in the morning uh, to a clinic to receive a counseling appointment um, for an abortion. So in Texas, in order for an individual to receive an abortion, there's a 24-hour um, uh, waiting requirement where the individual must receive counseling with the doctor who is going to perform the abortion. Um, and then has to receive all the relevant information, has 24 hours to sit on it, think about it, and then 24 hours or longer later, she can come back and then receive the abortion. So the government was told that she was, that Jane Doe was going to receive that counseling appointment the morning of October the 25th, which means that the earliest she would be able to attain an abortion would be the morning of October the 26th. Based on this information, the government informed um, ACLU that they wanted to stay apprised of this. They planned to file an emergency stay application early in the morning of the 25th with the Supreme Court to um, determine whether the um, en banc court's decision uh, would be upheld while they appealed it or not. Um, and so what ended up happening was um, six days or so before the um, Jane Doe had received a counseling appointment, with a different doctor, and that doctor wasn't available, which is why she was going to receive a new counseling appointment. But somehow, after this decision came out on the 24th, after all these discussions between the ACLU and the government attorneys, um, this original doctor became available to have uh, an abortion appointment at a 4.15 in the morning. So the ORR was notified that they would be picking up um, Jane Doe at 4.15 to take her to the clinic. Nothing was said that this appointment was no longer a counseling appointment. Nothing was said that uh, she was going to obtain an abortion at this. Nothing was said it was a different doctor. Um, and so she had an abortion in the wee hours of the morning, uh, which leads questions to whether she can consent at that time, whether, you know, she knew what was going on, whether she was sleep deprived, uh, and the government wasn't notified until after the fact that she had already obtained an abortion. So this seems to fly directly in, uh, in violation of good faith and, uh, and honesty and not trying to mislead the other side, uh, omitting material facts, um, and to avoid the government's um, disclosure and notice that they plan to file the stay application and to avoid um, the ability of the government to appeal. So since the government could no longer, uh, since the case basically was mooted because the issue was whether she could obtain an abortion or not, um, and she already obtained abortion, 
Mm. The the government could no longer appeal the decision saying that she could um, that she should be able to get an abortion. But they asked the Supreme Court to vacate that decision because as it stood, it was binding precedent for future cases that ORR's policy is unconstitutional, that they have to facilitate these abortions for um, alien minors um, in their custody. And so it was really important for uh, for that opinion to be vacated because the government didn't have a chance to appeal it. Um, and so it's no longer binding on the government. Yeah, it's no longer a precedent, so they, they can't bring that up and play it as a trump card, correct? Correct. Okay. All right. So it still confuses me that the courts would say the underlying, and I understand all the other things that were going on, but that you had evidently some attorneys that were playing fast and loose with the law here and nothing is being done about it. I don't, I don't understand that, but uh, I guess that's because I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) I'm just saying that. Well, I don't, I don't understand exactly why the um, why the court didn't want to follow through with saying uh, more specifically uh, instead of in general that this is not okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when uh, we see this a lot when it comes to abortion in the law that there's what we call an abortion distortion. So normal principles of law um, and constitutional um, application all of a sudden don't apply in the same way when it comes to abortion and upholding the so-called right to abortion. Um, we see this across the board. And so this could be another instance of because abortions involved, um, some of the justices don't want to actually go through with trying to sanction these attorneys. Hmm. All right. So something happened here last week in, in Arkansas. I'm sure you are aware of it. Uh, when the Supreme Court refused to hear uh, a case uh, dealing with a law that we have here in uh, Arkansas that uh, a doctor, an abortion uh, doctor, must have hospital privileges if he's going to be prescribing uh, abortion drugs. And so that that law stands now. You must have, you know, hospital privileges or have somebody – I guess that you work closely with that has those privileges and uh, Planned Parenthood has stopped uh, doing any kind of abortions that way here in the state. Kind of a big win, I believe, for uh, right to life people like myself and something that I believe that other states now can use in uh, trying to help in their own laws. Uh, Are you familiar with what exactly went down here in, in our state? Yeah, so that case was um, uh, Planned Parenthood, I think, of one of the Planned Parenthoods versus Jegley. Mm-hmm. And the this case, the district court basically said, because hypothetically women might not be able to obtain abortion because of this law, therefore this law is unconstitutional. The Eighth Circuit, the Eighth Circuit said that the district court has to find more specifically that certain number of women will not be able to obtain abortion because of this law, not just hypothetically. This is based off of um, the Supreme Court's decision in Whole Women's Health versus Hellerstedt, which requires uh, a large fraction um, 
of women not to be able to obtain abortion um, in order to get rid of these laws. And so because the district court didn't have like these particularized findings, um, the decision to get rid of the law couldn't stand. Um, so this is on a preliminary injunction. Um, so it wasn't even a full case on the merits. So the Supreme Court, I think, rightly decided to kick this case back down for the district court to decide whether there were, in fact, those particularized findings um, to support the large fraction um, instead of just general, hypothetically, women might not have access to abortion because uh, we can conceive of situations where that could be the case. Does it, do you, um, you know, with your, your thoughts, because we're running out of time here, does, mm-hmm. does this help other states, this, this particular ruling? Does it help other states, or would have it have been uh, better if the Supreme Court had heard the case and then had, uh, at that point, uh, you know, ruled in our favor, the state's favor? No, no. Uh, this, the denial by the Supreme Court is great news um, for those who oppose abortion. Um, it's important because the Eighth Circuit ruled correctly. Right. Um, and they ruled that uh, basically abortion doesn't give you a supreme right to uh, just overturn any law that regulates or has all these common sense health and safety regulations um, to protect women um, uh, that go to these clinics. And so, um, so that decision was correct that the that it's not just um, if abortion's involved, there's a trump card and nothing can, you can't do anything to make it more difficult, even when these regulations help women um, and are common sense. Um, and so the Supreme Court agreed that they didn't need to uh, address this case at this point. There was no dissent, um, which is also promising that no one thought it was so important that they needed to um, hear the case. Mm-hmm. And so usually when a lower court rules correctly, you don't want the Supreme Court to take the case. Okay. All right, so uh, bottom line is that's a win. The other one is kind of a half win. Uh, a child lost his life. However, they did vacate that lower court ruling, which means that it's no longer considered binding precedent for future cases. Uh, we appreciate your time, Rachel. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show and keeping us up to date on what's happening legally uh, in the world of pro-life uh, uh, situations. Of course. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye-bye now. All right. That's Rachel uh, Busick here on the Dave Ellswick Show, uh, Americans United for Life, uh, just keeping you up to date on what's going on legally uh, in the fight uh, for life here in uh, the United States. A big win for us here in the state of Arkansas. Hey, if you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, stop. You could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. The decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes, double your Medicare premiums. You could avoid this by attending an educational, maximizing Social Security class Friday, July the 13th. Going to be hosted by David Lucas, my buddy, and I've known him for years, and a very astute guy that knows... uh, the ins and outs of social security and how to go out and, and, uh, you know, claim them. Uh, you hear his show here on one Oh one, one, uh, the answer on Saturdays at 10 AM. And again, at uh, 3 PM, the workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. Registration is 18 bucks, includes a 34 page workbook 
maximizing your Social Security benefits. Now, seating is going to be really limited, so you'll want to call today. If you've saved $100,000 for retirement, call 501-653-6690. Don't leave tens of thousands of dollars in the lifetime of Social Security benefits on the table. Call 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, back with you, Dave Ellswick Show. And I, I wanted to get to this story about what's going on in California. It's going to cost them mucho money. Uh, but if I know our Congress well, uh, they would find out some way of helping to bail these people out. I'm going to tell you about this story. It came up from uh, our sister uh, publication, Hot Air. So uh, we'll get uh, we'll get to that. But Mark called me just at the end of the segment that we did on uh, D-Day. And he said that he had a personal story of uh, someone that uh, he had sat at the feet of. He was a, uh, a, for- he was a former military that uh, was on Omaha Beach on D-Day. And I thought that that was a story that we should hear today, being the 74th anniversary of D-Day. Uh, you know, in World War II. So, uh, Mark, go ahead and, and tell us a story. First of all, set it up by telling us who told you this. Okay, thank you, Dave. I, uh, first of all, thank you for... Uh, I listen to a lot of talk shows during the day, and, and you're the only one today that has actually took the time to recognize the anniversary of D-Day. Uh, I'll set this up. Uh, well, I was in the Navy. I was stationed in... Uh, Idaho Falls Nuclear Power Training Unit, and they had a mix of civilian and military instructors out there. And once I completed my nuclear power training, they selected seven people in my class to proceed with uh, chemistry control training to control the reactor plant chemistry and so forth. Um, And so seven of us went and uh, sat down in in front of a uh, civilian instructor. I was 24 years old at the time. And his name is Dr. J. Rencher, R-E-N-C-H-E-R. You can Google him. There's a bunch of stuff about him. Um, So this guy was going to be our chemistry instructor for four weeks. And he was a very uh, polite, solid man. He reminded me of Ronald Reagan, actually. Um, so he was he was busy teaching us the ins and outs of of chemistry control, and he, I found out later that he was a procedure writer for Hyman uh, uh, Rickover when they first started developing the nuclear propulsion mm-hmm. program for the Navy. Um, and so one day the topic came up. I don't know how it came up, but it did. Uh, about he he said something about he was a World War II veteran. And so we started, in order to get off the subject of, you know, boring chemistry stuff, <laughs> we, we wanted him to tell a little tale, you know, about what he did and everything. And he, he just took his glasses off and he set in on this story. I hope I don't get too emotional about it, but it still cracks me up to this day. Uh, he was part of a squad of 12 men that trained to be minesweepers 
they had these great big bulky backpacks mm-hmm. and the and the you know the technology of the day these heavy metal detectors that they would sweep the beaches of England uh, for weeks on end training on how to detect and uh, mark mines on the beaches when they were eventually going to land at Normandy and. He said, they, you know, it was a rigorous training exercise. You stood upright. You walked, you swept back and forth. You, you walked so many steps at a time. If you found something, you marked it, and you moved on. And so his squad of 12 men, uh, at this point, when he's telling me this story, tears are just rolling down his face. On that day, he was on the landing craft. And they were headed for Omaha Beach. And as soon as the landing craft hit the beach and the door came open, the ramp came open on the front, instantly he was the only man left. Mm. All 11 of his guys that he trained with were dead instantly. And he, he invented a new procedure for sweeping for mines, crawling on his belly. Yeah, I bet. And uh, you can look him up. He's a super guy. Uh, he died several years ago. But uh, I only found out about it many years later after I bothered to look it up. I was just a young guy then, and it didn't really dawn on me, you know. Right. But his story was uh, sticks with me to this day uh, about the horror that he went through on that day. And uh, there's so many of them like that. You know, if you were a 20-year-old then, uh, you'd probably be, what, 94 now or something like that? Yeah, mid-90s. Yeah, there's not many of them left. So uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time to remember those people. And also on Monday, this past Monday, uh, June the 4th, that was the uh, beginning of the Battle of Midway. Yep. In 1942, and that was that was the turning point of the battle against the Japanese in the Pacific. Yeah, we uh, took out what got, three of their aircraft carriers. We got, we got four of theirs, and four. they got one of ours. Yeah, they got uh, what was it, Yorktown? Yes, and uh, also uh, Friday up near Walnut Ridge, uh, a little small town up there by Walnut Ridge. I have been uh, there. There's going to be. Uh, uh, Ravenden, I think, is the name of the community. Uh, there were several bodies recovered from the USS Oklahoma that was capsized during World War II, mm-hmm. and they finally identified uh, this one sailor uh, from DNA, and he's going to be laid to rest up there oh, in uh, wow. Cavender on Friday. You can probably see his obituary in the paper if you look it up. But uh, these things always just... Oh, and yeah, yesterday, June the 5th, that's the hundredth anniversary of the uh, Battle of Bella Wood. That's where the Marine Corps got their name, the Devil Dogs. Right. So this this is a very important week in the military for all of us. And uh, uh, I've, I've been told that a a soldier dies twice: once when he dies on the battlefield, and a second when nobody says his name anymore. And I just want to remember all these people. I want everybody to remember them and and don't stop saying their names. Mm. I Keep would I would agree with that. Life. 
Mark, I agree with that, and I think it's uh, almost criminal that uh, in our high schools today, most of our students don't even hear about World War II or D-Day, or you ask them who the Axis was, and they don't have a clue. You ask them who the Allies were, and they go, who's that? They don't have a clue. You can't. They can't even identify the previous president sometimes Yeah, from a picture. You know, they don't know anything. The history has been rewritten daily. And, and you know, all this Confederacy stuff being written out of history, it just frustrates me. But, well, yeah, our, we, we need to teach history in class. And and if you want to uh, learn a little bit about World War II history, come down to the uh, USS Razorback Submarine Museum. And, uh, yeah, I've been I've there already, many times. broadcast yes. from there several times. Yes, you have. I volunteer down there. I'm a submarine veteran, and uh, that's a really great uh, uh, platform for teaching history to our kids. And we, we have a ton of youth groups come down there, school bus loads of them come down there all the time. And a lot of people just don't even know it's there. I I agree with that. I'll tell you what, maybe I can uh, make my way down there. We can do, a, do another uh, remote from down there here in the near future. How does that sound to you? That would be great. All right. I'll be in touch, okay? Thank you, Dave. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, if you've never been to that, you should go to it. It's really uh, amazing. And some of the vets uh, that I have met down there who uh, served on uh, other ships uh, during the time of war, I there was one gentleman that was there was on one of the aircraft carriers, and for the life of me, I can't think of it right now, but uh, literally had it blown out from underneath his feet uh, went back and they 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 fixed it. it may have been a Yorktown for all I know now uh, and uh, had quite a story that was on and talking to us uh, that day on the Dave Ellswick show but we can make that happen that's no big deal now we can make it happen a lot easier than it was uh, back at the uh, the beginning when we did it all right, it's Dave Ellswick Show. Don't forget about Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. You hear R.D. here on uh, Tuesdays. He's the owner of Sunny's Auto Salvage. He and I, whenever he's on, we'll talk some. Uh, and uh, because I use uh, Sunny's Auto Salvage a lot. I mean, I had the 2009 uh, Corolla. I got a uh, 2010 uh, Acadia. And I got so many miles on both of those automobiles, it makes no, no sense to put new parts on. Uh, I can go in and ask uh, Sonny to look and see if he's got like, uh, well, just the last couple of times, transmission for the Corolla, uh, an engine for the Corolla. He found both of them for me. Uh, and putting both of them on uh, gave that, uh, that car basically a new lease on life. Uh, it's got both pieces, got three-year uh, you know, parts uh, and, and labor warranties on them, uh, unlimited mileage on them for what, three years. So for three years, I don't have to worry about them at all for the powertrains at all on the car. So I'll be driving that Corolla until the wheels literally turn into nothing. Phone number there for you to find out if they have the part you need, 982 7451 982-7451. All right, got another caller. Richard wants to join us. Hi, Richard. How are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Hi, Show. Dave, first of all, I want to start this conversation out, and I thank you for your service, and, uh, and I hope you had a great trip. You went to the hometown uh, where I was born at. I never have walked there until I was 30-something years old, 
my dad was a retired military at Kessler Air Force Base, and you went to San Antonio. I was in uh, San Antonio. In fact, I went and visited. Uh, it's a park now, basically. I went yeah. over and checked out Kelly Air Force Base, where I was stationed at. Right. So I, I'm glad for your service, and, and I'm proud of that. Thank you, sir. And I'm proud of my father's service. He's retired uh, military here in, in Jacksonville. But uh, uh, he was talking about the uh, summer ring. Yes. And uh, they they brought that. Uh, they It took, what, months to get it over here, correct? Yeah. If I remember correctly from what I was told when I did my show over there, they found right. it in Turkey. The Turkish The Turkish Navy was using it. Right. And then we bought that back from them. And then we had it towed, and it took like um, four or five months or three months, I know, to get it back over here to right. Little Rock. Right. But anyway, I just want to call and thank you for your service, and uh, and I, I, I'm glad you had a good time um, with your grandchildren or your grandchild that uh, graduated, and uh, and I thank you for your service. But uh, a lot of people don't know how much work it takes to even get that uh, submarine over here and how long it took. And the men and women that's, well, I don't know if any women at that time served on, um, just men during that time. But uh, it, 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 it took to operate that, uh, and it's, it's very tight quarters. Well, yeah, I always suggest that people go over and uh, check it out. You won't believe, you better not have had any kind of uh, uh, fear, yeah, claustrophobia, or you would have gone absolutely ape in that ship. You wouldn't survive. It's very small at the People think that it's a it's a big deal, but uh, it's very it's it, it's a it's like getting into a uh, uh, MRI. <laughs> it's it's really small. I mean, the only thing I've been in smaller than that was the uh, the U five hundred five at uh, up in Chicago at Science and Industry, a, a German submarine, and those were smaller than American submarines. I haven't been in that one, but I, I tell you what, if you're claustrophobic, you never get in those. And those men. Um, and that served in that uh, were miracle. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I I agree, Richard. Got to let you go. I've got to get to this uh, story. I promised everybody uh, before the top of the hour. I got Joe and Duck waiting in the wings to talk cars with us. By the way, I'll have them tell you themselves. But the car show was outstanding this year. Bumper to bumper, outdid themselves. Uh, the group uh, with Bumper to Bumper with Certified Service Centers outdid themselves this year. Uh, close to 160 cars total, I think, were there. And um, I think they said uh, 17 vets were on display. And they said they were awesome. Russ was showing me some pictures. It was amazing. Well, it's going to probably turn some head. The California State Assembly has voted to, quote, remove the legal residency requirements for participation in their state's Medicaid program. Here's a story. It's the bill known as AB 2965, passed the Democratic Control Assembly 33 to 21. The proposal would eliminate legal residency requirements in California's Medicaid program, known as, uh, known as Medi-Cal, and the state has already nixed the requirement for individuals younger uh, than 19, offering full cost coverage will cost the state $3 billion for 2018-19, according to the California's Legislative Analyst Office. Now, that's just the estimate. They estimated the cost to be an extra $3 billion 
for just this year. And that's when they're already scrambling to figure out what they're due when they lose all their revenue from the new gas tax in the upcoming referendum. California previously talked about a single-payer plan to cover all of the people legally in the state and that one would have shot, and that one would have shot their budget in orbit around Uranus. And if the bill for all of these illegal aliens becomes too much, analysts are already predicting that they might need to go where? If you said the federal government, you're right, and they would need more help. So just for a moment, pretend that such a request wouldn't send President Trump into gales of laughter. Anytime you begin talking about Medicaid dollars for illegal aliens at the federal level, you run into some immediate problems. For one thing, according to the federal Medicaid website, it's almost never allowed. Uh, No federal funding to cover undocumented immigrants except for payment for limited emergency services. The qualified citizens list is fairly explicit as well. It doesn't include illegal aliens. Just one more example of the elected leaders in Sacramento scratching their heads, trying to think of anything else they can possibly do to bait the White House. But this program is going to cost them a bundle. If they pass it, they'll also likely attract illegal illegal aliens from other states who want to move there and sign up for all the benefits. If they're not careful, California is going to wake themselves right up into bankruptcy. And uh, I got to believe, I mean, there's so many people leaving California already, going to Arizona, going to New Mexico. There are people in Arizona, New Mexico, and, and neighboring states are wishing uh, the people would stay there because they don't learn. They bring these stupid ideas into these neighboring states with them. Texas is another state that's seen an influx from California uh, as well. So, bottom line, $3 billion for illegal immigrant health care services in the state of California. Maybe those people are going to keep signing that petition, and it won't be just California anymore. It'll be California A, California B, and California C, and uh, there'll be... Uh, three different uh, states, distinct states there on uh, the West Coast. But um, it's insane. It really is insane what these people keep coming up with to to waste not only their taxpayers' money, but as uh, the writer says, somewhere along the line, they're going to go to the federal government, and maybe not while Trump is in office, But when, you know, Obama 2.0 gets in there, uh, they'll start cutting checks to California to bail them out for making stupid decisions uh, like this. I mean, just unbelievable. This makes me want to bang my head against a, a wall that idiots like that are part of the union. It really does. It really, really does. Sad. Sad, sad. All right, coming up, uh, we'll have Joe and Duck on. They're going to be uh, talking with us about uh, the car show over the weekend. We'll also talk to them and take any questions you might have about your car, something uh, that might be 
Uh, it might be doing that's got you scratching your head in a quandary. They'll try to help you out with that. Maybe you're, uh, you know, out there rehabbing a car and you need some, some help. Maybe you need to know where to go, find some parts. I can tell you, if you're looking for, you know, older automobiles, look at, look to Sunny's Auto Salvage for some of that. And you can probably find some pieces of original equipment that you can put on those cars. Talk about uh, some of the things and how much money some people pay uh, to uh, literally uh, paint their cars. You know, some people to get those really magnificent uh, car painting uh, things done pay tens of thousands of dollars to have it done because it's not just one one thing of paint. It's the paint, and then they, they get to paint the way they want it to lose, and then they want it, and then they put the clear coat on. And they put that clear coat on thick to the point that it looks wet all the time. looks like you can take your finger and stick it right into the, uh, you know, the, the, the car paint. Like, like it's got depth. It's very cool. Anyway, I know that Russ had a bunch of uh, pictures. What I'll do, Russ, send some of the, your best ones to Elizabeth, and she can post them for us uh, here on the uh, the uh, social media, whether it be on the Dave Ellswick show, uh, Facebook page or Instagram page. And you can see some of these fantastic cars that were on display on Saturday. Right now, let's get you caught up on the news. And when we come back, it's uh, of course, duck and Joe. And then in the final hour, uh, Senator Trent Garner will be our special guest here on the Dave Ellswick show, man. Today's going fast. We're in the four o'clock hour. Are we ready? Here on a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day. We're closer to Friday than we were on Monday. Thank goodness. And if you missed it, had uh, two guys come on talking about people that they knew that were World War II vets. Uh, one talking about <coughs> gentlemen that he met and heard uh, some stories about Omaha Beach. And uh, another gentleman calling and talking about the, the Razorback, the submarine that's moored down on the Arkansas River. And I was mentioning i've been over and did my show there quite a few times might have to go over and do it again sure and get everybody to come over and visit uh the razorback if you've never been there you need to check it out and uh, just know that when you go down there you're going to be stunned that men used to go in a ship like that go underwater and stay down under the water for weeks can at a time can weeks you, can you imagine staying weeks at a time no. on water no i nah, mean neither it's too well for people like us. Yeah, back in in that day, if we were our size, we would have been thought of overly tall. Yeah, and big men. Joe would have been a submariner. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. You're I, the perfect I size. I, I claustrophobic. Uh, oh, you wouldn't like <laughs> it. Uh, you like that. When they closed that hatch, <laughs> you would have been going. Let me out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think. Wait, I won't out. You have, yeah. to, you have to qualify for that anyway. So there is a test, and they yeah. do that. They put you in small rooms and boxes. He'd flunk. Yeah, uh, I would flunk that real quick. Real fast. Yeah, it's the the only smaller boat that I've been in was the U five hundred five. That is at uh, Science and Industry in Chicago. It's a a a, a Nazi submarine yeah. that they U boat. Yeah, U boat and. I thought, you know, that was small. This is just a little bit taller, but the Germans must have been smaller than Americans. <laughs> That's all I can figure because I've gone through that 
And when I was 11 or 12, I had to duck my head all the time. Yeah. And I'll whack my head on uh, going through the, uh, what it, it was called, portholes or whatever. That they but had. can you imagine running through them, you know? Yeah, I can imagine that I'd be out cold. <laughs> yeah, because I'd knock myself out. The first out. one that I, on the roof I hit. Doors. Yeah, the bulkheads. They'd be yeah. coming by there with smelling sauce. Hey, wake up. Well, here, here's the key. Be in one of those and go through a depth charge attack. No. Oh, my Lord. No. Like being in a tin can. I mean, seriously, it's like it. being in a tin can. I'm kind, I'm kind of like Joe. I ain't going. <laughs> no, I, I went down to see what it was like, all right? And I would never go. If they said, oh, would you like to go on a ride? No. <laughs> so we went uh, – to Caribbean, we went in one of the little glass bottom submarines and yeah. put it around. You know, looked they at give the fish you a and all that. Bad feeling. I, I I didn't mind that so much because I could see through the glass. Yeah, <laughs> if you took right. all the glass away and just put me in that little bitty, yeah, I know it's he'd be clawing holes in the wall. That's what I'm day. saying. He'd be clawing, uh, you know, if you ever, right through. Have you ever rode up into the arch up in St. Louis? That little yes, barrel. Yes, that's very very uncomfortable too. Yeah, clunk 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 clunk. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's like a roller coaster that you can't see out of. And that you never get to the top of. Tick, 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 <laughs> that's tick, what I'm saying. Tick, it does tick, that tick, going tick. up and going down. I mean, it can drive you crazy. Yep. As far as that's concerned. But yeah, that, you know, the Razorback, if you've never been down there to check it out, you need to go and look at it and you need to go inside of it and it give you an all new respect for those guys. For the guys in World War II. I'm going to tell yeah. you, look, I've been, I've been on some of our big ones now that we have. That ain't no big deal. Really? Oh yeah, they're there's there's big. room. Oh, three football fields long. Yeah, they're huge. I mean, I I forget we how went, many stories uh, tall. Went to New York and went to the aircraft carrier there that's got the space shuttle on it. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I enjoyed that. That's big. Down in the bottom where the hangar where the plane set. Yeah, uh-huh. they got a, a, a what you would call a, a antique airplanes in there all through it vintage war planes and stuff well you you went on the aircraft carrier yes that's where yeah. the uh, space shuttle is yeah the aircraft carriers are interesting you know how many men are usually on an aircraft carrier about 1500 i think isn't it no 6200 mm. takes that many people to small run. city small that's city. A, can you just imagine how much food they go through in a day a lot I mean, you, you just think about that, though. For 6,200 people, how would you feed them? You'd have to feed them in shifts. Oh, yeah. Well, the other thing that's interesting is that, you know, you always think about lifeboats as being those little dinghies. These are huge <laughs> boats down in the in the hold that they've got to put their men on that they can get out away from. Because let me tell you, if that thing goes down, it's going to suck you You with better it. get away from it. Mm-hmm. You, may, you don't want to be close to it. And I bet you we got some people who are listening that served on an aircraft carrier and can talk about this. I mean, they serve, sure. you know, food 24-7. They've got, like, two or three movie theaters you know, on they, them. They'd have it's to serve food 24-7 because, you know, 6,200 people. you be, got people working all the time. Yeah, I mean. Got you, to be. So, Dave, did you get your granddaughter graduating? Yeah, she got Here's the good thing. It had been planned to be in the football stadium on AstroTurf, Uh-oh. on auto, artificial turf, at one o'clock in the afternoon, they decided. Oh my gosh! First time I've seen a school board make a very fast decision uh, on a Thursday. We will be in the gym. <laughs> be crowded, but Ooh. it'd be cool. It would, yeah, it'd be cool. Man, it because be. people would have been passing out. It was a hundred and six that day. How many did they graduate, Dave? Six hundred something. 
kids in that class. Yeah, you can see Dave hanging over in, in the bleachers. Hurry yeah. up, hurry yeah. up. Yeah, two, two years from now, my grandson, yeah. uh, Curtis, graduates in his class is already like 765 kids. I wow. think I think when Blake graduated, I think it was like pretty close to 700 at Bryant. Yeah, I'm going to take myself a pillow next time. <laughs> Something to sit on? Yeah, no, go to sleep. Dave, I mean, you can't be going to sleep. I'll go to sleep. And I just have somebody give me an elbow to tell me when they when got ready. to the peas. Yeah, that's that's the Parsons. That's who I want. That's yeah. who I'm worried so about. We had the car show, you know, Saturday. I know. I heard so many good things about it. But, uh, you it, don't think it had something with that? I wasn't there. Everybody decided to come. They, I don't think so. <laughs> I think it was. The I fact mean, this that we is what sunshine. we have been shooting for. We have been shooting we had to a, break that 150 mark. Friday night, I got up there. Friday night, I spent the night up there and. Uh, we uh we went down to tgi's to have supper me and her yeah me and Teresa, and i was sitting there and i could see out the window and i told her i said turn around and look out the window and back to the west and it turned dark black cloudy uh-oh and was thundering and lightning she said oh no it's not gonna rain again is it mother now? nature knows it's time for the car show mm-hmm. i got up at uh about five forty-five. took me a shower and was gonna go out and fill the generator full of gas and I heard noise at about five fifteen out there, and they were seven lined up when I got the up. cars, yeah. yeah, cars ready to go. And they was, and they piled in. We had some good heard, looking cars. I heard we? it was awesome. Just yeah, awesome. We, I saw some pictures Russ took. There's, I think, a '63 vet he showed me. Yeah, that just blew my mind. They were kind of a reddish awesome, color. Awesome cars up there. Uh, it, it was just unreal. I mean, how many people, and not only cars, Dave. They, they was probably three or four or five thousand people just walking, wouldn't it, Joe? There was a bunch of folks I, there. I look, you know how big that parking lot is. I yeah. looked out in the parking lot, and it was two thirds away full. Very yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, it, we need to start charging a dollar. No, just to give the money to Ronald McDonald House. There was one gentleman came in. And he said, "Who'd I pay to get in?" I said, "It's free." He said, you guys need to, if it's for charity, you need to collect a dollar or two. Anybody can afford that just to suck up the AC in here. <laughs> it was nice. I mean, yeah. once we got the door shut down, you know, once 10 o'clock come and we got the door shut, it didn't take it but, oh, probably, what, about 30 minutes, Joe? Yeah, it, it was kind of cool. down. Really oh, nice. they, they had it knocked down pretty quick, and uh, uh, but it was uh, a lot of people there. I mean, I was – I was expecting somewhere around 120, 100, you know, somewhere in there. And Cars. I walked through and counted them about, uh, it's about 11:30, quarter to 12, and I counted 151. Now, here's the key. That was all the cars. You were full inside, and we actually had to go outside. Had, had 51 outside. Well, 51 outside. Yeah, we need to talk cool. a little bit about that. We did announce that if you pre-registered, you would get a spot indoors. We tried to hold those spots, but when some pre-registers didn't show up till right at ten o'clock, we could not hold them, and we apologize for that. But yes, we're, this this is a work in progress. So next year we're going to be at the same place doing the same thing, and it will be completely, totally first come, first, first serve, serve on the indoor spot. So if we hurt your feelings or you feel like you were slighted, we apologize. It was not intentional. No. It was not intentional, and we squeezed 99 inside that building, Dave. Yeah, we had them as right. packed in there as many as the city would allow us to get yeah. in. Yeah, the city stopped us. You know, we had about three more spots, and the city said no. 
Really? Yeah, you cannot put them there because we have to have the doors where you can get in and out of the doors. Can't can be so many <coughs> so far from the door to leave the aisles open and leave fire it to lanes. the city to show yeah. up. Anyway, well, you know we it, it was okay. We yeah. had uh, we had a we had uh, Mims down there, paramedics just in case somebody got yeah, too well, hot that's or good. something. Yeah, we, we planned the best we could. And, but if and nothing happens, sit down and shut up. We well, just uh, that's my kind of in the Saturday morning radio show. Mm-hmm. It went off great. I mean, I, yeah, I know. It, you guys don't need me anymore. I'm it, feeling left out. It now. went. It, it went <laughs> off great. Still hey, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute, Dave. Yeah. So me and Joe started. You know, right? He said, "I'll go find you somebody. I'll be back." And I looked. Uh-uh. He was gone. <laughs> That's what he said. He said he had work to do. <laughs> yeah, he I had it. stuff to do. I said, "Handle it." And then the guys rotated out. Yep. Duck left too for a while, and then came back. So it, yeah. you guys, they, you know, the Saturday morning uh, car and truck doctors, they can do that. Game. Oh and, yeah, you know, they're they're good with it. And and it, and we rotated out. There was like three or four people on there at any time. So. Yeah. So who's coming up this Saturday? It's Duck. All right. And who's going to be with you? P- Pinnacle Car Care. Yeah. Sean? Yeah, Sean. He's going to be here. Good. Now the guy from down uh, down there in Benton Mm-mm. that we've had on? No, before? the one over off of Chanel. Uh, Chanel. Okay. Pinnacle right. Car Care. He's coming. He's going to be here. He he called and said he could be here. Good. So it'd be me and him. But, uh, uh, the, the, I mean, the radio show went off out of hitch. We didn't have no problem. We didn't have no glitches. I knew you wouldn't have Every, any glitches. That's a perfect, easy yeah. shot for us. <laughs> everything just i mean you know we we put the stage down there right when they walk in the door and you know where people could see us yep. and uh i had a couple of people walk up and said which one of y'all duck nah you know, I know who you were <laughs> he said i hear your voice all the time i just want to know who you was and and uh but uh i, I come slipping by i thought I was, going, I was going to get me a donut and i come slipping now, i will say i don't know who it is but somebody always brings jerry brought these the, yeah, the donuts and they bring several yeah. dozen in oh they he yeah. brought in six or seven dozen there probably. you go yeah the green so boxes I, I, yeah. I was slipping back there and gonna get me one and ken sullivan seen me said, no 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 come on back up there and sit down <laughs> but now, you talked to jerry some did, jerry. You, did you talk to jerry uh when he was there did he get on the air jerry roach yeah nope. i tried to do it okay and... said he got he got him on oh, he, did you get he, him on he was on just for a few minutes i think but he was busy too. They were working that car show hard, and and you got to give bump, bumper to bumper. They work hard. They showed up in force. There was forty people there that worked for them. At least forty yeah, people. And we and then they did. We did a great job. You know, they those guys are awesome. And I got the uh, standard guy on, uh, Connor. Yeah, Connor. I he, saw him Connor, today. Yeah, he, he was at shop today. He come walking by, and I I got him to sit down. Then I got. Uh, uh, the motorcraft guy come walking by, and I got him on there for a few minutes. They didn't want to stay for just a couple of minutes, and they I, we got to go. Well, that's good. They were running their booths, you know. Yeah, but they had, uh, they had stuff to give away. We gave away a lot of swag. Yeah. Oh, I, people, was, did you guys give away any C notes? Uh, I gave away two fifty dollar bills. There you go. Okay. Uh, I gave away a C note. There you go. You know, uh, uh, I love that stuff, man. Tom yeah, Barkley gave away five hundred dollar gift cards. Wow. How about this? You know who tried to win my C note? Willie. No. <laughs> it's Ken the Duck. <laughs> your, your wife tried to win the uh, C note. My who? youngest son, Blake. <laughs> they called Blake's name out, and I was on the other side of the room, and, and Steve, uh, Tim Wilson was over there, and he was announcing that Blake Godsey, Blake Godsey, and I was like, 
No, 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 no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Can't I'm, win. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting back in the back hollering and screaming no. And I look, Joe's up there waving his hands. I said, mm-hmm. draw another name. Yeah, he draw it. another name. And Blake was going, Doggone it. <laughs> the worst part about it, Dave, he yeah. wasn't even there. Oh, he wasn't there. I had sent him Chick-fil-A to get me something to eat for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> he come yeah. back and I said, Blake, you want $100, but you weren't here to collect it. What? <laughs> I said, you couldn't have it anyway. It was it was from Joe. The, the, yeah. the, the, the guy that won the 100 after that, he said, give me that $100 bill and handed back a 50 and said, put this on Ronald McDonald. Hey, that's uh, good. He gave half of it back, so it worked have out. Have we heard how much we raised? No. No, no. They're, no they Jerry, uh, he's working on it now. He, Jerry sent me an email today about it, but I hadn't looked at it. Right, Jerry wrote to, I know you're listening, if you have that amount. Text it to him. Text it over to Duck or to Joe. But or to me. You got my it, number, it, too. It's, but them cars, Dave, we, you know, you could sit there and see out the door, and, I mean, it was just seven, eight at a time come in. Oh, that's just, cool. I mean, it's it, what we've been it, waiting for. And, and the rat rods, we, we had some. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I heard about the guy who won about uh, pulled a hernia trying to lift up the uh, <laughs> the trophy. He got his trophy for for the car show and, and walked over, and he reached out with one hand, and I was standing over by the table and said, you ain't picking that up with one hand. <laughs> yeah, it had a uh, look like a four-cylinder old cast iron flywheel, flywheel on it. Oh, that did, yeah, I yeah. think the whole thing weighed about 40 pounds. 50 it did, pound, didn't about it, 40 though? pounds. Yeah, That's cool. But yeah. it, it was neat. The guy made, put two carburetors oh, on it. Cool. He put a rat, a rat on it and wrapped his tail around the around the bar. Oh, I mean, very cool! Uh, it, it put time and change stuff on it. It looked, it, you know, it, it looked good. But uh, it it was just amazed me how it went over without a hitch. We got everybody in there and parked. Nobody, I, I guess, Joe. I never did see nobody upset. Ah, there was one guy because he didn't get inside, and and, and there was one guy that was kind of frustrated over he thought that he had there was a spot inside and we gave it to somebody else and and i you know i i can say honestly say we tried to accommodate everybody and make everybody as happy as we could and if we didn't do that we apologize guys and and you know every year we'll get better at it so we've been doing this for a decade 10 years now a decade yeah and every year we've tweaked it a little bit more and a little bit more and you know i don't think you ever can quit tweaking it you know getting it better and better well the the inside deal is is, you know that's this is the second year last year we didn't fill it up so it wasn't an issue this year we completely filled it up and went into the overflow which is another building beside it it had fans in it but no ac but you know we learned so that that, that's all we can say is that you know if if you if you had an issue we just uh we're doing our best work through it all right, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about the car show. If you've got a question about your car, there's a problem, uh, you can ask uh, Duck or Joe here on the Joe and Duck extended version of the Car and Truck Doctors. <laughs> okay. It's been on for longer than the Car and Truck Doctors, but you can call in and talk to them, 823-0965, Dave Ellswick Show right here on The Answer. All right, back with you, and we've got the news coming up here in just about one minute. So we'll get that to you. Uh, if you'd like to call in, talk to Joe or Duck, you got a car problem, or maybe you're thinking about uh, wanting to refurbish a car and get it ready for next year, we can talk about the guy who won it this year, who finished second last year, went back and corrected his mistakes from last year and got a perfect 300 this year yes he did 
Yeah. And I saw the truck. It's that black one. Yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. Yes, it, absolutely it, it, beautiful. And, and he lost last year, Dave, on a flip of the coin. Oh yeah. I mean, it wasn't that that he didn't win last year, but I just couldn't. You couldn't make up your mind which one. There was nothing. They they were tied last year on the score. So what yeah. do you do if you can't if you can't figure it out and you know and it's back and forth? It's just you know, guys. You flip a coin. That's it. That's what they did. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to flip a coin right now. Let's go to the news. All right, we continue. Joe and Duck are here, ready to answer your car-related question. Uh, whether it's uh, for a new car that you, you've had just a couple of years and you have a little problems with it, you can talk to them about that. You can talk about the oil. You can talk about the antifreeze. You can talk about why you don't want to drive on 67167 because <laughs> you kept picking up nails in your tires like me. Dave knows. I got another one. I ha- I yeah. had to go to Joe's again this morning. I was up there this morning. Left rear tire, had a screw in it again. Yep. I went to search and got a fuel tank for a Peterbilt this morning. It, it is amazing to me how many nails and screws are along that highway. Well, it's what because is, it's walled on both sides. Yeah, and and they anything stay that falls off stays in the lane of traffic. And looking for my car, evidently. Everybody's. What, <laughs> what's the hold up on moving it? from you know the northbound they're, they got to get finished at that in, that at the end, end down there down by the air force base and then they're going to bring it over i'm sure that's what's going I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what the logistics and they're, are they're right. working on that bridge yeah they, they had to put they, all that new yeah um what was it the piping in there for yeah. water runoff they, they, they got that done it looks <laughs> like this weekend because i was noticing that this morning as sure it's going to be nice when i get through with it it will yeah if, you know what I gotta say. You know, is 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 God is looking down on us right now? I'll be thanking you when it's finished. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I will be praising your name when that thing is all finished. Because he's right, getting on there at Cabot, going north, uh, mm-hmm. going southbound now. That is so nice. But then they got the barrels right there in the middle because they want you to get used to those other two lanes. And boy, I'd like to spread out. Yep. I'm just Being saying. Nice. <laughs> I would like to do that. Move, I want plenty of room. I got to put my glasses on. Somebody's calling us. All right. It's uh, Mike out of uh, was it Little Rock. Hey, Mike, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Hi, thank you. Um, my son has a Hyundai accent, and it's making kind of a strange noise around one of the sandbolt pulleys. Okay, can you can you can you do the sound? (laughs) 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 That's good. I like that. (laughs) Better than Um, most people. You betcha. But it is. um, He's up in Bentonville, and I don't know anybody up there to send him to. And didn't know if you guys knew of anybody that might be a good, reliable source up there. They are looking at this moment. Wait, I've got a guy. That's in Springdale. Okay. Uh, let me find it on here. I may have to get may have to get your number and call in you when Bentonville, I get to the show. There are three. Okay. Bill's Automotive One, Fast Auto and Tire, and Norm the Tire. Norm man. the Tire Man. Yep. yep. Norm the Tire Man. That's the that's the guy that's getting Bill, a nod. I have used Bill before up there. And, okay. and they're all three bumper-to-bumper certified service centers, so you're going to get good service from these guys, and they're, they're not going to do any rip-offs or anything like and that. It, They'll give you quality work. And it probably needs a pulley on it. Yeah, it's going to need a tensioner pulley, idler pulley or something. Yeah. That's kind of what I thought. I just um, I haven't been able to see it, and he's not going to be down this way for a time. And I said, oh, let me call this show. These guys know everything. 
Right. I yeah. don't know about everything, but we try hard. Are you having that. Are you having marriage problems? We do that too. Uh, Speak for yourself, Dave. <laughs> All you I can tell you, thank you. I can I can yeah. answer that question. It's cheaper to keep her. There you go. Yeah, call Bill's up there, and he'll, he'll get you took care of. All right, and he'll you treat you much. fair. All thank right. you. Bye bye now. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> anyway, we we do our best uh, to help you out with just about anything, but no marriage is not one of the things that we talk about here I, and i get calls all the time dave hey you got somebody down in so-and-so hey guy called me the day Shreveport. hey i got a truck down Shreveport won't start you do yeah, that's yeah. a long service call there and yeah. i said i said hold on a minute so i called i went in i got an old rolodex you know one of you slide it back and forth yeah oh yeah my daughter-in-law tell me she said won't you throw that thing uh-uh it got all my numbers and in it's it. got good stuff in it and Boy, she'll get she'll get to looking for something she said you don't have nothing in order can i rearrange it <laughs> no leave it alone i don't have where it it's at. Yeah. well i don't have it in there like you know like bills i got it in there under b right and i go to s and look for on the street port and that's where i got all my stuff and she she wants to i said uh-uh I, I know where it is. I can find it. Ain't no problem. That's exactly like, why do you want to clean my desk? Mm-hmm. I know where things are on my desk. Leave my desk alone. I got a spot about a two-foot round circle that I keep clean. The rest of it kind of just cluttered. Well, that's so you can put it. something down and, and write something. Yep. And I, I can completely understand that. I really do. But, you know, it, it's it, that's how I want it, though. Well, that's yeah, okay. Well, yeah. Everybody likes things the way they like them, and don't want nobody messing with them. That's normal. All right, so B and M Oil. Let's talk about B and M Oil. Yeah, we had a uh, Dodge truck in there today, and actually we were working on it yesterday, Doug. Uh, 08 model, the five seven, one ton, uh, plumbing company truck. Guy's complaint was, I'd be driving along, and my oil pressure goes to zero. I can shut it off, let it sit for a few minutes, start it up, and jumps back up 40 pounds and take off again. That's an interesting quandary. I'm, I'm getting to the oil story here real mm-hmm. quick. Yeah, I got you. What's wrong with this truck is it's sludged up, and yep. that oil pickup screen, the bottom Stop the oil pan, up. it keeps gathering all that debris up until it restricts it. And then you shut it off, it drifts back off and go back down the bottom of the pan, and you start it up, and the oil pressure's back up again because it can't pump any oil if it can't suck any oil yeah so you're stopping it up on the suction side so this is why using the right oil is, is very important. important for you to well consider the oil changes at the proper intervals because the guy that owns the company asked me what caused that and i said well, it's the same old thing it was 50 years ago oil can make you ain't changed oil in it properly it's sludged up he was quiet for a minute and he said my guys ain't been doing the right thing i said it ain't their truck Ah, <laughs> and he was like so you're saying i should be keeping up with that i said if you don't want it to happen yes sir that's what you need to be doing you should have logs speaking that, of that joe mm-hmm. i had one of my customers come in uh i do quite a bit of work for him and he brought his wife's uh, mercury i mean uh lincoln the little small lincoln yeah mkz mkz nice she, cars he said this thing won't run so tim scanned it and he came here he said cam phasers messed up on it yeah, and we know why that happens. 102,000 miles on it. There's yeah. no way. Hey, Camp Tim went out there and pulled a dipstick out and come walking in there. He said, you need to walk out here. I've screwed the <laughs> oil filler cap off. Yeah. <laughs> and it looked like you could grow a garden in it. Yeah. That's that's wow. just. So hey. I uh, get to ask him, you know, who's been changing oil in this thing? And so he says, 
Ford dealer. They changed my oil every thirty five. You told miles. me this story a few weeks ago. Yeah. That was an amazing. So this is an amazing story. He, he, and I take him out there and, and I, I squat down there and I, and I said, let me put it up on the rack. So Tim runs it up on the rack. I Got guess the factory oil filter on it. Well, it ain't factory, but it's been on there a, the, the a paint, long time. The paint was completely gone off the oil filter. Yeah. Yes. And I said, look, I don't, he said, I, he, and so he goes to the glove park and starts pulling out records. Hey, this, I had it done here this mile. I had it done. Uh-uh. And I said, look, you need to go back down there because some, uh-huh. so he goes down it. there and raise canes. So, well, the the guy on the loop rack, he needed oil for his car. I, that's exactly <laughs> what I told the guy. I said, he needed oil for his own. Okay. So he took it home. I said, but I'm not saying that it ain't had oil change. Then he tells me, well, I just, he pulls out a, a receipt. He had just had it done yeah, less that. than 400 miles ago. Yeah. And but, you know, th- those stories we're telling about being sludged up and stuff, they're real true life stories. But that's why true. that's why we love to use Chevron Haviland motor oil because it's got deposit shield technology in it that reduces the sludge buildup in an engine. If you, de- if you did, did not change your oil properly, don't get me wrong, you're still going to get a sludge factor, but this reduces the effects of that and helps it uh, if you're lazy and you don't get it done properly, you can go a little extended time and it won't damage it the won't engine. Hurt nothing. That's right. So it, it's great oil and, and, you know, B&M and Angel, they take care of us and, and they got a good product and that's what we like about it, right, Doc? They was down seeing me this morning. Well, good. He dropped off my apex this morning. I was, yep. I thought I had more than what I had and I walked, Russell went out there Monday and checked he ordered some Monday because we was out, a couple, one of them. But the biggest thing you can tell, I tell people every day, service it. Exactly. Service it. And it don't matter if it's a, if it's a Volkswagen all the way to an 18-wheeler, Dave. They all have to be serviced. My dad used to always tell me, son, if you can't afford to do oil camp maintenance, you can't afford to fix it. Remember the old com- commercial, pay me now or pay, or pay, me, pay me later. later. That's Pay correct. A bit later today. is more expensive. Yeah, always more later. expensive. Yep. I was in today having uh, the oil changed in the car. Flat and, fixed. Well, yeah, the flat fixed. But <laughs> the, the oil was important to me. It was down to 30%, and that's when I start yeah. you know, wanting to get in there. So, I, I have to come by. Somebody needs to reset my gauge. Dave. Okay. You ain't been following Joe I'm, back and forth work, have you? I do sometimes. Uh, there's the reason you gave him flats. <laughs> He's the one throwing no. them out now. Okay, I got Not you. Not me, I promise you. Yeah, it's amazing. He's ready to get them the next day coming in. Yeah. So uh, let's give something away, Dave. You want to give something away? We got a vacuum cleaner that we've been giving away. Five-gallon uh, five-gallon bucket. bucket vacuum cleaner. Okay. It's about a $30 value, I think, is what it is. Okay, well, let's, good vacuum. let's give this Keep away quick, clean. all right? We'll do this with the second caller. And I'll give you the number here in just a second. Don't call until I say call. Ah, somebody are cut. They hung right up. They hung right back (laughs) up. They're listening. All right, they're listening. All right. So, are you are you ready to give this a shot? Who's who's giving this away? Uh, Me and Dickie from Bumper to Bumper and uh, Evans Automotive in Benton. All right. You will have to go to four zero eight Watson Street to pick it up. But uh, we'll give you all that information. We'll give it all to you here in a minute. Give it to to uh, uh, Russ so he can give it out to those folks. All right. Second caller, 
All right, final segment of the Dave Ellswick Show with Joe and Duck. We've got nine minutes remaining. We've got, uh, who's, our, who's our winner? Ron? Ron Brentley. All right, so let's get Ron up here on the line. Hey, Ron, how are you? Hey, Ron. Oh, pretty, pretty good. Doing good? He's from the big city, uh, Dave. Where? Enola. Oh, Enola. He's, he's from the big city. From alone. Yeah, backwards. <laughs> well, actually, Barney, I didn't know where anybody know where he is. I know where Barney is. I own five acres out in yes. Barney. <laughs> yeah, we were just sitting there yeah. talking about that. I bought that five acres. I was going to put myself a, a nice house out there and couldn't find any car, any houses that you know were like I wanted to do. So then all of a sudden I had to come up with 80% of the, of the price. And I was like, that ain't going to happen. So uh, ended up buying a, another home in Cabot because what ki- of it. What kind of question you got, Ron? Oh, I need to – I got an old Ford Trailblazer, and uh, it's got that electric fan clutch on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I used to work on cars for years. Well, I've done the warranty and installation that one that was auto salvage back in the 90s and early 2000. Anyway – them things is hiring a pet's bag. We're going to get one cheap. Well, a new one, if you get a new one, I think Bumper to Bumper's got some, and I, they're, they're a doorman, and, and they're yeah. about the cheapest you can get and still have a good quality fan clutch. And so, doorman. Uh, just yeah. a doorman, yes, sir. Yeah, it's, it's made yeah. by doorman, and, and it's a good quality clutch. Uh, you know, you can probably go to some of the discount places and buy one cheaper price-wise, but you're going to get a cheaper quality, too. So if you stay with the doorman, I think you'll be all right. And bumper-to-bumper's got them. You can go there in Cabot and uh, see the guys there in Cabot. There's two bumper-to-bumper stores in Cabot there. One's auto value. Another one is actual bumper-to-bumper. So He's out in Enola. Well, I know, but that's that's the closest <laughs> place that I can. Well, that uh, youngest, uh, well, that Conway's uh, but closest, probably. But, well, uh, yeah, it might be closest to Conway. Yeah, I'm over in Cabot. Uh, the youngest boy lives over in Cabot, so I go over there quite a bit. Well, you can run by one of them guys there in Cabot and pick you up one. When you put that on now, I'm going to tell you, they say there's not any setup on that, but you really need to go in there and and with a scanner and, and tell it that you've replaced it, okay? What year is this uh, Trailblazer? So four. Oh, four? Yeah, I I think without the scanner that'll be all right. But if you get a seven, eight, or nine, you you're going to end up putting a scanner yep, on that to, to tell turn it, it on. That's it to tell it it's been replaced. Yeah, yeah, I know it. I, I try to get this older stuff. I can still kind of work on it. <laughs> I got you. And uh, <laughs> I had a call. One of the calls went bad. It's got that inline six cylinder. Yeah, I couldn't even. Uh, Figure out which cylinder went dead. <laughs> I had to take it one of my buddies still. Get him scan it, give you a misfire code. Try to put a thermostat yeah. in it. So yeah. I had to go. Uh, of course, I had to do that wrecking yard stuff. Another buddy and I went over there and got five or six used ones. Yeah. <laughs> back on the road again. Yes, sir. Whereabouts, uh, uh, you say you live over by Brantley? Uh, Barney. Barney, okay. You know, I live up yeah. on Highway 5. Be- yeah, between uh, right up there. You know where they're building a new Dollar General store at 310? Uh, 310 and Highway 5? 310. Oh, uh, coming across uh, from uh, Mount Vernon. Yeah, Burnham. yeah, it comes out there by the, where the old meat packing place goes yep. straight across the highway there. Yeah. If like you, going to Floyd. Yeah, if you turn right right there, I'm about a mile and a half down the road on the right. You can't miss him. He got animals in his front yard. 
Yeah, I, you, you ain't the one used to have that big chair sitting there. No, that was uh, midway. That that chair got blown away in the tornado. <laughs> he he's got. Uh, I'm just before that on the right. I got the elephants and the gorillas in the front yard. Oh, do you? Yes, sir. <laughs> I'll check that out next time I go through there. All right. Well, we got you a, uh, a vacuum, vacuum cleaner. 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 And uh, did Russ give you the information about where to pick it up? You didn't. All right. It's 408 Watson Street in Benton. If, uh, 408 uh, Watson. Yeah. You, 408 Watson Street in yeah. Benton. Yes, sir. Okay. That's Evans. Yeah, and he had a driver's license. I'll go by and drop this off to him tomorrow. And so tell him that you're going to come by and pick it up. Yeah, when you're in that area. Yeah. I mean, make it yeah. before the next year or two. <laughs> <laughs> well, I ain't, I ain't over sitting very often. <laughs> All right. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. We appreciate you calling in. Thank you so Thank much you, here on the Tables Show. <laughs> yeah, if you're, when you're over there, just make sure that you stop by and pick it up. Yep. You know, I'm not going to say you should drive out of your way from uh, out in Barney. That's a pretty good little drive. That'd be a long drive, that's for sure. Yep. be a pretty good little drive. Now, what, what would be the, the fastest way is it? Go up there to equipment and cut across and catch 65 and drop down to catch 40? Or would it be better to come across and get 64 and drop down to Conway and catch I-40? Probably going to go over and hit 107 and go down to 64. Yeah, yeah. That's kind and of what then I was if thinking. he was uh, cut across at Pete's 8 miles store and go over to 89 eight and get store, on yeah. at, uh, at uh, Mayflower and get on 40 there and then go down and hit 430 and cut across. Well, that 8 mile store does a huge business yeah they stay busy yeah it's out in the middle of nowhere dave well if you you got vanilla uh, <laughs> i can say it i really can't it's just down the road that's not even all that far that that uh, far from them that, that of course the uh over out there the uh, the mayor did a good job at diverting all the major traffic around town. his town now that was kind of a dumb move as far as i'm concerned I'll have to do a show about that. Let's people from the town call me up. And I think they voted the mayor I out. Think that the did that. residents liked it. The Maybe businesses may not have, but well, the I think the businesses, did. the Sonic there, I bet you they would love to have all that traffic back back so. in front of it again. Yeah, well, you see where they opened up seventy Friday, didn't you? Oh, I did not. Yep, they yeah. have seventy is officially done. Well. It was open when I came flying back through three, three <laughs> months and two or three days early. It was about midnight. It was midnight, yeah. uh, Monday night that I came through <laughs> that area, coming back from San Antonio. By the way, I got a question for you guys. We got a minute here to talk. Two years ago, the General Assembly met, and they passed a law asking the, uh, the Arkansas State Police to raise the speed limit on those sections of highway in Arkansas from 70 to 75. Yes. Have you seen a 75-mile-an-hour speed nope. limit sign in this state yet? Nope. I can't think of one. No. Man, I got to tell you, I love that in Texas. Sure. I mean, when you got to go that far, I mean, as well, they say in Texas, there's miles and miles of miles and miles out there. You go, yeah. you, you go to Batesville, Dave, and you go on the other side of Batesville, like going towards Dash Flat. Yeah, going up there through when, uh, when you, you know, evening shade. When you go down the hill and come down to the red light where the, the Western Citizen used to be where all the motels are. Yes. That's 50 mile an hour down through there for seven miles. Creeping and, speed. And they they watch it heavily. Oh, yeah. They sit there and could this be the next, the next Damascus? Probably. Yeah, that would be nice. 
Probably should be. All right, guys. Thank you, Dave. Fast hour. That's the fastest hour on radio. I'm just telling you, Joe and Duck here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Thank you. All right. 27, District 27, State Senator Trent Garner is here. I got a note from him last night. He says, I'm running for re-election. No big surprise to me. When you're doing a good job, you should run for re-election. And he's doing that. And he said he wanted to come on the show and talk about it. He happens to be in Little Rock, and so he just happens to be here in my studio now. Hey. Good to see you again, Trent. Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me home. I'm happy that I finally came to the, uh, you know, came with the uh, bald-headed club, and I joined you. I stole your look. <laughs> I think it's uh, very much needed. I'm always joked that I'm, uh, my wife is five months pregnant. I'm going to have a daughter for the first time, so I shaved cool. my hair, so I would went and pull it all out. So I'm really excited Okay, about now that. what do you shave your head with? I mean, I know it's a razor, but do you do you have – I got this thing that looks like a little sports car. I, I've seen that. I used to – I used something like that before, and I always cut my head, so I have to go with the old Gillette, like, three or four blade. And yeah. I usually – once or twice is all I can get before I have to replace it. Yeah, this is – I forget, it's head something uh, X – four and i've got one and man the thing's great but they came out with a new blade and i've been trying it it doesn't cut it's not very good so i just ordered from walgreens i saw they got the old blades i just ordered four of them from there and they're cheaper they're not 17 bucks they're only uh with tax nine dollars so i'll take that any well, day oh i'll definitely uh, listen to the master on that and, and, and adopt your techniques no they're good i sh- i shave in the shower <laughs> well no i yeah you know, I, I announced for re-election um a little ways out it's the 2020 election um but you know I, I served my country as a special forces green beret with a couple tours over in afghanistan and i've been very humble to be able to serve the people of arkansas in my capacity as a state center and i'm excited to get back out there and to really get out there and talk to the people in my district um, but before you know for the 2020 election but more importantly before the 2019 session um, that's when you really can reconnect with people see what you did good see what you did bad see what people need changes and help with and come into 2019 session so that's why i announced so early so i can get out there really talk to the people and uh you know I, I'm, I'm i'm really excited and optimistic about arkansas's future i think we're on a great path right now uh, when i ran for election i said i was going to be the right leader to take us a new direction now, new direction is happening. Record unemployment, low unemployment, um, tax cuts. Uh, we're going to get more aggressive about it. Some of the things we've done for our military. I think we're on a good track, and I'm ready to continue that success. All right. So, uh, let me just ask you. That was your your finish up your first term. You're going to be uh, running for reelection for a second. What's the biggest lessons you learned in the first couple of years of being a state senator? Well, before I was elected, I worked for U.S. Senator Tom Cotton. So yep. I got to kind of experience on that front, but there's a big difference between being a staffer for somebody and mm-hmm. being the person in the seat. And I think the biggest thing I learned is that you really have to listen to the people who elected you. Um, you know, sometimes there's things I have you know no idea about, and you have to really reach out there. So recently we had the ruling about the sports gambling. That's not an issue I talked about on the campaign trail. I don't right. think I ever had a conversation about it with anybody. And so I asked the people, what did you think about this? And I got a very uh, robust and mis- mixed responses on it. Uh, some people were all for it, think we should have it, and other people think that it could lead down a path to sin and vice and, and some other issues. So issues like that come up, you just got to really listen to the people that elected you. And uh, uh, how much input I could be able to get from people is something that I really appreciate. All right, so with the input you've got, you opened the door. i got to ask What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's something you guys got to deal with come 19. It will be. Uh, obviously, there's going to be a lot of money behind it to get something here in Arkansas. Uh, the majority, I would say, of the people who reached out to me were against it, um, even though they acknowledged that you can probably do it right now online. 
And is that revenue leaving the state that otherwise could come here? And then right. there's the issue with, you know, bad actors, uh, you know, spoof sites and things that will take your identity. So I think there is something that could happen. I, that's one of the things I have to really dive into the, the, the specifics of the bill and, and get subject matter experts to talk about before I reach a decision because it's, it's a lot of money. It's a big change in Arkansas's uh, gambling system, and it's something we have to really take analysis of because it's so unique and novel to the state of Arkansas. All right. Now, I know a lot of us didn't like it, but uh, with the legalization of medicinal marijuana, mm-hmm. I mean, that's run into all kinds of problems. I saw a story today. I didn't get to read it yet. That looks like there's uh, they're trying to close up uh, information through the Supreme Court where we'll not know what's being, being done. What's your feeling about that? Do you think you're going to get it done anytime soon? Well, I was against medical marijuana, um, but just like I said, the people of Arkansas made a choice. Yeah, and, they chose. And when that happened, we have an obligation to put that system in place fair and as equitable as possible. And from what I understood from the outside looking in, the commission did a fairly good job. you got to understand they had thousands and thousands of pages of paperwork to go over. They had hundreds of applications, people from Bob down the street who wants to put one in all the two like large um, interests to have invested in mm-hmm. this. And so they, they did the work they did. Um, I talked to a few of them on the process, and they seemed to be doing the best way possible. And they had a system I think would have worked um, with the application. Of course, then you have people like Judge Wendell Griffin, my favorite uh, judge here in the state of Arkansas. And I was going to bring him up later, but if you want to talk about him now, go right ahead. <laughs> well, it's pertinent in this case. He, he decided to throw the whole thing into array to make them act uh, and to do certain things. And now I think the people of Arkansas are in a in kind of a limbo state. They want it. They said they want it. They want a system put in place, but it's this fight happening. Listen, we need to move forward with it. Uh, it people want it. They asked for it. Let's put it in place in a fair, equitable way, make sure it's done the right way, not leading, leading to um, backdoor ways to legalize it which I think is important, but there's a bunch of money behind it, but the people want it. We need to do it as soon as possible. Do you think that if it keeps dragging its heels that the people who would like to run a bill that would say recreational marijuana for the state might actually find some sympathy in their vote? Yes. I mean, if they run it into the the session of 19, I don't think it would get much support. Mm -hmm. Um, But like last time, if they had time to get a referee, a referee to the, um, to the uh, ballot, uh, even though I think the timeline is short. But uh, people put this in place ready for us to put some kind of governance system together, some kind of commission system to make this happen. And we have an obligation to do that. And the longer we drag our feet, the more people are going to hold us responsible. And that may be the eventual path. I don't anticipate it in the short term, but in the long term, they could say, all right, forget the commissions, forget all this. We're going to treat it like we do alcohol or anything else make it legal across the board. And if that happens, I think we'll be in a worse spot. So we really need to move forward with the medical marijuana. All right. Trent Garner is my guest, state senator. We're going to, he's running for re-election. It's not until 2020, but you always got to start early. He was talking about being a staffer for Senator Tom Cotton. He'll be on the show tomorrow at 3.30. We'll be talking to him from Washington, D.C. Got a lot of things to discuss with him. But we'll be back with Trent here in just a moment. And I want to talk to him about something that's going on here in Little Rock that uh, is uh, got me concerned, and we'll deal with that here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to hear about this. If you're thinking about claiming your Social Security benefits, stop. You know, you could be on the verge of making an irreversible mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. That decision could trigger an avalanche of taxes and double your Medicare premiums. You could avoid this by attending an educational maximizing social security class 
Friday, July the 13th with David Lucas from the David Lucas Show, who you hear right here on 101.1 The Answer, 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. The workshop makes claiming your benefits simple and easy. Registration, $18, includes a 34-page workbook, Maximizing Your Social Security Benefits. Now, seating is going to be very limited, so call now. So if you've saved $100,000 for retirement, call 501-653-6690. And don't leave tens of thousands of dollars in Social Security benefits, lifetime Social Security benefits, on the table. That's 501-653-6690 or visit davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, back with you. Trent Garner is our guest, state senator, running for re-election. It's always nice to have him here on the show If you want a a Second Amendment friend, uh, this guy is 2A all the way, and we appreciate that. I was just talking about a story earlier on in the show. I got um, a uh, town, Deerfield. I know where it's at. I grew up by Chicago, and uh, they're trying to make it illegal for you to have an AR-15 or a semi-automatic weapon, basically. Uh, They're going to make it illegal, and that means they want you to turn your semi-automatic gun uh, into the authorities, and if you do not, it's a thousand dollar a day fine. And that's not mentioned in the written part of the article. I had the lawyer on today that's fighting against this. Uh, if they have uh, substantial evidence that you have guns and you haven't turned them in, they can break your door down and come in to find them. Now, I just want everybody to tell me what's the difference between. What we grew up with in talking about Soviet Russia and what that is. I don't think there's any difference whatsoever. And, uh, you know, a lot of people in this country anymore, you'd been real happy back with the, with Khrushchev and all this guy. You would have loved him. That, that is an amazing uh, thing, Dave. Uh, the thought that we talked about before we came back on air is that a semi-automatic firearm is basically every weapon that 99% of people in arkansas have i mean you're every and, weapon but a revolver exactly like a, or a single action or yeah. something like that even most guns people hunt with i hunt with a super black eagle when i go duck hunting that's a fairly semi that's a semi-automatic weapon yep. that'd be illegal <laughs> but hey you don't have to go to illinois to kind of see this thing happen this here is what arkansas. i wanted him to talk about see, i give him great lead in <laughs> he here. did it was it go was, ahead you, you set me up well well two things one let's talk about the city of little rock and the enhanced carry bill um, as you know, Dave, and there's been some controversy on it from both sides, and I understand it. Um, we got the enhanced carry bill passed last session. Uh, yes. That was the bill I was the lead sponsor on. I've passed the course and uh, carry re- regularly in uh, places that were before prohibited. Found out yesterday in a story um, that the city of Little Rock has kept the signs up. You know, if you go to a college campus now, they'll say, guns are prohibited except for those who carry enhanced carry, which mm-hmm. is fine. Uh, but apparently they're, the city of Little Rock and through their government is undecided if they're going to follow a clearly written state law. Okay, so is this this would be Mayor Stodola and the city city board? Yes, it's the city right. attorney gave the opinion in the story. I'm not aware of any of the board commenting yet, but they may have. Um, so basically, you know, um, the Robertson Center, uh, the Little Rock Zoo, um, and for some reason the Arkansas Game and Fish Commission, which has nothing to do with the city as an agency, has <laughs> decided that the people of Arkansas who go through eight hours of additional training, who pass another background check, who do all of this, are too dangerous to enter inside their uh, magic line of their premises. Now, Arkansas Game and Fish said this too? Correct, and that's something that I'm going to be more directly. The city of Little Rock is one thing. Um, there are consequences to their actions, but the Arkansas Game and Fish, I think, are more accountable to 
me as a state legislator, and there will be de- decisions to be made of why they did that, and answers hmm. will have to be um, uh, answers will have to be given. Uh, but back on the point, so the law is very clear: if you own a publicly owned building and you have an enhanced carry, you're allowed to carry. And they're doing some kind of back flipping lawyer trick to say, no, no, no. There's another section that says if a person or entity controls an area, well. It's clearly meant for a person like you or me, or if I own a house or business, I can prevent somebody coming there, which should be the law. Right. Instead, they're trying to say that applies to a publicly owned building, even though there's a whole section of that law specifically designed and explaining what a publicly owned building is, and it clearly falls into it. So you don't have to go to Illinois to see that. Uh, One other quick point on that. Um, One of the things the Democrat in Arkansas are pushing are these new red flag laws. And uh, this is going to be brought up as some common sense gun control solution in the next session. But you know what they can do? They can. I read the law that they, the draft they put out. Okay, so t- tell us about this. This is the first I've heard about yeah, this. Yeah. People like uh, Representative Greg Letting, who's running for Senate, Senator Will yeah, Bond here in Little Rock. Yeah, I know um, him. <laughs> <laughs> they're putting red flags laws in there. So that means if I hadn't committed a crime, but I make a threat, they don't define what a threat is. Uh, to myself or the family members, a judge without me going to a hearing can do a temporary restraining order to take my weapons away, which means they can come to my house here in Arkansas and the cops can take my guns away. And after that, because they believe in due process, apparently, then I can go to a judge and explain why I should get my guns back and uh, prove yourself uh, innocent. Exactly. Um, Number one, there's so many questions. How are they going to know how many guns I have? Do we have to register them? Um, two, why don't I just go buy a new gun if I'm going to do some violent acts? Mm-hmm. Why don't I use a truck, a knife, a, uh, a IED, other kind of things to cause harm to people, as we were talking about before? It, in my estimation, it's a law that is going to be very terrible. I'm going to fight it tooth and nail. And uh, look for the Democrats to say this, and you'll hear the, 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 the amazing buzz, buzzwords. This is common sense, uh, you know, due process. Common sense gun control. Yes, but uh, I think it has severe consequences for the people of Arkansas, and I will take a deep look into it before anything happens. Red flag laws. Yeah, they've passed them in a few states. Take away your guns before you even have a chance to defend yourself in a court of law. Yep, you don't even have to be there. They can, uh, if, if two police officers or the county prosecutor or other folks come in there and says, we think this person is a threat, they can come in your house, take your guns, and then you have a hearing after the fact. Now, there's probably going to be some examples where this could be helpful. I'm not going to deny that. Mm-hmm. But what's going to happen is what happened in Florida now after they passed it, where you're getting a bunch of false um, accusations. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. Uh, <laughs> false accusations where people are going in there saying, I'm having to defend why I need to get my weapons yeah. back. And so uh, that's another trick. So there's two things. You don't have to go Illinois to see it. There's some things going on here in Arkansas that we need to address. Okay. So we've got the city saying that you can't go into the public buildings even if you got the enhanced carry. They are undecided as of today, even though the law is clearly written. to. to have you talked to Charlie Collins about any of this? I, Charlie tweeted about it last, last night. I tweeted about it. Um, it just broke yesterday, the story. And I actually know the guy who was mentioning that, so I was texting him. I want to try to move. I'm going to try to move deliberately forward, but I, if we need some answers. If not, there will, there will be some consequences. Should be. There should be. And i got questions uh, here in a few moments when we come back. We've got a break for the news here uh, in just a couple of minutes. I, you were trying to explain to me before we started the show about 
why we're not seeing 75-mile-an-hour speed limit signs up on the highways around here. It just seems to me when we pass laws like that, it takes forever for the people who did not want to see those laws passed to do what they're supposed to do, you know? I mean, I remember how long it took the, the state police to come up with the enhanced carry uh, legislation for the uh, the guys to teach it because mm-hmm. I know several instructors and it was driving it was like the last moment that it was going to go go into effect it was like I guess they thought it would kind of like a kid that doesn't study for a test mm-hmm. and then because he knows the teacher won't give the test and then all of a sudden finds out and so he's cramming the night before that's exactly how it seemed to me and uh, luckily they they got that done but right under the wire. But I don't believe the state police are defenders or, or friends of the Second Amendment in Arkansas. Well, I know a lot of people in the state police. So I don't want to think of blanket accusations. Okay, uh, let me take back my broad brush there, <laughs> all right? The commander, I don't believe, is a Second Amendment adherent. Well, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, their agency who has to answer to us legislators is our responsibility to hold them accountable mm-hmm. to the laws we pass for the people. If they aren't doing that, they're, then we have to uh, make sure they do. Well, I, I hope that that continues. I know it was it, it took a letter from the governor, you know, well, what is it you don't understand? Of course, my letter would have said, I really appreciate all that you've done for the Arkansas State Police, but you're here by, you know, see you later, Jack. We'll put somebody in who wants to do the laws here at the state. Trent Garner is our guest. We're going to have him back in the next half hour. If you got a question, you can give him a, a call here at 823-0965, 823-0965. Don't forget uh, we do the show every day live on Facebook Live, and uh, if you want to send uh, you know that out to your friends so you can see what uh, you know Trent's been saying, here's your opportunity to do that as well. I think he's a good conservative guy and uh, has been working hard for conservative causes here in the state of Arkansas. We got the news coming up here at the bottom of the hour. After that, we'll have a few commercials, and then uh, Trent and I will return. We got more to talk about. I want to talk to him about what he's looking forward to to get underway in the 19th session. That's up next. All right, Trent Garner, state senator, is our guest. He's running for re-election, and he'll take your calls, 823-0965, or he'll talk to you about some of the things we've already talked about, like the the city of uh, Little Rock can't make up their mind that if they're going to find follow state law or not. Of course, they keep doing other things. Let me just ask this question about you, Trent. I'm sure you've heard about it about these um, Little Rock ID cards that they want to give out. Have you heard about that? Yeah, I don't know how that's going to be implemented. Well, it sounds like Sanctuary City to me. That's yep. exactly what I said. Now, the go, you know, we have J.R. Davis on. He'll be on tomorrow, first hour. And uh, the governor has made it very, very clearly uh, clear. He's not going to allow anybody to be a Sanctuary City in the in this state. And uh, you got Eureka Springs. you got Fayetteville. In those areas up there, that they're all trying to figure out how to get around the governor. But right now, that's not possible. Just like we're talking about medical marijuana, I know the city of Little Rock, fortunately, last night voted not to place crime like that at the lowest level. So that's a positive step. But when you have cities making their own drug laws, uh, that's, that creates complications for a dozen different reasons. Well, Bob Ballinger and others uh, on the Senate side as well uh, passed laws saying that a local law does not supersede a state law. They made they wanted to make sure that everybody understood that because of what was going up in Fayetteville about 
uh, you know, given special privileges to special groups. And uh, that got passed, and now Fayetteville is kind of in a quagmire. They don't know what to do on st- and certain things. Hey, at the end of the day, we have a system that we should have much control in the local system as possible, but the state law supersedes the local law. And guess what? The federal law supersedes the state law. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can pass law tomorrow, demand the military do something. It's not going to do it because that's how our system is built. And uh, these cities, they have, they can do a lot of different things, but when it comes to those big, broad policy ideas, whether it's guns, whether it's marijuana, whether it's some of the other issues, that's why legislators are in place to get a statewide perspective, not a local municipality all right, let's go to Conway. Larry is there. Larry, how are you? Welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Your question here for uh, Trent Garner. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. My question is, well, one of them is, what are they going to do about all the uh, corruption at the Capitol and all these uh, senators and Congress people that are uh, taking bribes? Okay. And then, I, and then I have a little comment. They want my guns. They're going to have to come and get them. All right, Larry. Appreciate your call. Thank you very much. Now, that's been a big big story. Been running for the last few months, of course, about Woods and some of the other people uh, that uh, have gotten themselves tied up with gift money and stuff. What's your take on that? Well, I was the only legislator who I know of who ran a bill last session to get rid of the General Improvement Fund before it was found unconstitutional. It's a corrupt, bad system. Here's the truth of the matter. 99% of that money was used in the proper fashion. But the there, that 1% made huge uh, criminal and, and uh, unethical and immoral decisions with that money. Well, 1% is a lot of money. It is. It is a lot of money. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars and that much control. So I'm happy the General Improvement Fund is gone. And I hope that the law, the lawyer, or the FBI, and all the government agencies go after every single person who used that money corruptly. At the end of the day, we have a, as a legislator, my biggest responsibility whether we can break it down, is to be a good steward with the taxpayer's money. And when I'm using that to bribe my friends or to use it in bad ways, they need to be prosecuted with the full extent of the law. county judge in my part of my district uh, in Jefferson County was just uh, had to resign because of taking $50,000 through his church, which if you really want to um, find some uh, anger in me, then you use your church in a negative fashion like that with, tax, tax, with taxpayer's money. Are you talking about Wilkins? Yes. Okay. He, yeah, um, that's what I heard. That was a bribe given through the church and that came back around and he's admitted to this so it's, it's not like yeah. I'm speculating uh, but we I'm happy it's gone we need to make sure there's nothing that replaces it. it actually that money goes to help people like local fire departments and things what it was yes. really used for but it takes out the ability to be corrupt and, and to cause all the issues and I think if we do that it'll be a better way to do it how, ma- how mad does that make you because when you get one just one and we've had more than one we got one two three four five, six, seven maybe, uh, that have done this, uh, that's mud that splashes on you as well as, as far as every senator, every state rep that's out there. Yeah, I mean, it, it puts a um, it puts a cloud over things we do. Um, that's what the old saying is, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And the more power we give to uh, individual legislators to act corruptly, 99% of us will act the right way. We're good people. People run for office, but there's always that chance somebody will abuse it. That's why you need good checks and balances uh, in place to make sure that money is spent correctly. And we need we need to make sure that going forward, if we're going to have some kind of system that does with surplus funding, because that's what general improvement funding is, mm-hmm. that's done in a fair and equitable way, and that people can trust that that money is being used in the right way. 
The Ecclesia money, the thing that worries me most about that story about Woods, and I forget what the other state rep's name is that was up there. Uh, Mike and Neil, I believe. Mike and Neil. Yes, uh, that concerns me is that that money that went to them uh, passed through all kinds of other legislators who looked at that and said, yeah, cool, it's cool, that's cool. You know, and I'm just wondering if that doesn't get to be maybe too much of, you know, of, of a good old boy thing because you guys get to know each other and you figure, well, I'm not going to do nothing illegal about it. Yeah, rubber stamp, boom, you know, kind of thing. Well, the way I understood it is, is, is it was given out to those districts and the districts were the one through the legislator approved to be going to do it to mm-hmm. will give it out to the actual places. So I think people who gave money to that college, um, I know some of them, they did it because they thought it was the right thing to do. They thought they were doing good programs. Uh-huh. Obviously, with uh, the new uh, with the new conviction of former Senator Woods, we know that he was kind of the mastermind, him and some other folks, to get that in a corrupt fashion. So even if you're trying to do the right thing, which I think a lot of legislators were, um, I think it can be misused in the wrong way. Okay. What are you hoping to tackle during the, the new session? I mean, we talked about Griffin a, a minute ago. Uh, I know that there's no love lost between you and, and the judge. I know there's no love lost between the judge and most people on the Senate or in the House. Uh, do you think that he's going to be moved out? Well, ultimately, that decision is left to the House of Representatives. Um, I can't file articles of impeachment because the way our constitutional system works as a senator um, works the same way at the federal level. Okay. If it does happen, it'll the go, trial goes over to you guys. trial goes to us. What I can do and what I am working on now is to put together the actual rules that if any person is impeached, how would the trial happen in the Senate? Okay. Through my research, what I found is there really are no rules. It's never happened in the state of Arkansas. We've had threats, whether it's uh, the uh, former treasurer who had the money box or other accusations of people, but it's never been used. So if the day does come that article of impeachment is filed against someone, uh, the Senate needs to have a process in place, and I'm working extensively to make sure we put the rules in place to make that happen. And I think in the next few weeks you'll see something uh, very solid and concrete about that. So we can call it – you know the SOPs of impeachment <laughs> or the trial from uh, from the uh, uh, the Senate side because being former military, that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, it's just like I mean, how do you do rules of evidence? How do you do? How do you have bring witnesses in? How do you subpoena people? All this stuff has to be based created so that we can have a proper trial. Um, who's going to sit in the bench? Usually, it's a Supreme Court justice or chief justice, but obviously, mm-hmm. there's uh, depending on who it is, it could be some conflicts of interest, as we know from certain lawsuits happening right now. But no, moving on to the 2019 session, I want to focus on three main areas. Okay. One, I want to reach out and help our veterans as much as humanly possible. Um, I plan on running the legislation to put a commission, a task force together, so we can address veterans' issues, do an extensive study into them, almost like we're doing with the uh, taxes through the tax fo- task force mm-hmm. and some of the other things. Uh, secondly, I have a safe plan for securing and preventing mass shootings across the state of Arkansas. It's a multi-tiered plan uh, dealing with arming teachers all the way to mental health, all the way to school security, all the way to enforcing the laws we currently have in the books. Now, you understand that the mental health side is going to be the Democrats that are into that red flag thing. They're going to want to be your friend. What I like to say is if you really want to address mental health, let's look at our involuntary commitment laws. Here's the fact of the matter, Dave. 
you can take a gun away, you can take a tool away from somebody. That person can still do harm to themselves or others. Mm-hmm. If that person is at that level, they actually need help. Let's take them off the streets. Let's get them the help they need, and ultimately, let's stop that person from hurting people. Every one of these children or these kids or murderers who have been shooting up these schools almost universally have signs that point that they're they're a problem. Let's take them off the streets. Let's put them in a facility. Let's make sure they get the help they need. Yeah, test them and see if they're okay. And if they are not, leave them in there and and see if as long as they need it until they're healthy. And involuntary commitment law has a long history. It can be abused. I understand why some people don't like it. Uh, Just like I was talking about before, we don't want the – uh, uh, people showing up at your door saying, hey, you said something bad on social media, are you going to the mental institution? But we have to put that in place so we actually take that person off the street and not address not address the mental issues where it seems to only focus on taking away people's guns. Okay. All right. And then the final point is, um, so I address the task force, I address the um, safe plan. Um, mm-hmm. The final part that I really want to address in 2019 has to do with uh, – changing how our system works to better help everybody in Arkansas. And one of the things I'm on right now is called the Red Tape Reduction Task Force, focusing on, uh, on occupational licensing and reducing the— Lord uh, have mercy, we need that. Absolutely. Uh, this is one of those strange issues that everybody seems to agree with until you get down to the brass. So the Obama administration put out a 100-word uh, 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 PDF about how we need occupational licensing. Trump— Ivanka Trump actually two weeks ago said we need occupational license reform. Um, we're on this task force to get it done, and uh, there's a lot of different ways we can fix that. What I tell people about occupational licenses is, is this. It's the government literally telling you you cannot do something. You cannot make money out of this or we'll come after you, mm-hmm. civilly or otherwise. And when you think of it that way, you need to think of we reduce that as much as possible. Because if you're – you know, one of the things we do is we ask felons to come back, get out of get out of prison. You know, you serve your time, now get out there and get a job. Well, they can't get licenses at a lot of different things. Some of them shouldn't. If you committed crimes against children, you shouldn't be working at a school. Right. But if you did a drug crime when you're 20 years old, you serve your time, you come out, and you're a good citizen who wants to get back in society, we shouldn't have the government stop you from getting certain licenses in order to do that. And that's what I'll be focused on as well. All right. We got questions that we can ask about these three different segments that you want to do. I know the the safe plan is interesting. You, you've been working and watching uh, the meetings that they've been having about uh, safety in the schools as far as mass shootings and things go. I'll ask you about that when we come back. Helping vets, where's, where do you start with that? We'll ask you about that as well. All right, 13 minutes till 6. Quick break. More coming your way here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's finish up uh, our time with uh, State Senator Trent Garner. Been great to have you on today. Uh, let's He's running for re-election. He wants you to know back, it's in 2020, all right? So he's got some time, but he wants to get out in front of it and let everybody know that, that he's going to do that. He's made up his mind that he doesn't believe he'll be done uh, when his first uh, you know time in, in office is over. Let's talk about the helping vets that you want to do. What are today? The president just uh, put into effect uh, a, a new program to try to help the VA and help our veterans in the VA. It's sad the way things are run. Uh, what's your thoughts about uh, where you want to start? Is what are, what can we do as a state to help veterans? Well, first, I really want to focus on using our resources to help veterans get a job start a small business, and get an education. We do a good job of it. I mean, we got the Montgomery GI Bill, which I use, the post-9-11 version or right. whatever you use in view. We have certain incentive programs. But I, 
I feel like that we can do more. What I see is, and it isn't a stereotype, but just from seeing people I know, um, you go in the military, everything's taken care of for them. It's a hard job, but your housing, you can get a certain amount, or you can have on-base housing. Mm-hmm. You have your job you go to every day. When you get out of that, the transition seems to be getting – it's hard for some people to, to kind of get back into things. And the more we can lead people that way, I think the better. Uh, the second thing is um, – this is something I've been working on, and it's it's I think it's interesting and something that we need to do. Um, when a veteran dies, uh, their family – loves to put them in show their service in, you know, a veteran's uh, a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And we have a few here in the state of Arkansas. I think Little Rock. We have one up in northwest Arkansas. In the south Arkansas, you might have to drive two, two and a half hours, three hours to see your veteran that passed away. And I think it's something we need to work on in expanding the amount of veteran uh, uh, cemeteries across the state. I want one in south Arkansas. That's, that's actually what I heard from a lot of veterans is when I asked this question, what do you want? And they said, you know, I'm getting to the end of my life. Um, I served my country. I've lived a good life, and I want to live close to where I grew up at, mm-hmm. close to where I raised my family at. I don't want to be in Little Rock, even though it's a fine city, or I don't want to be up in someplace else or Shreveport because I'm close to Louisiana border. Right. They want to be in Arkansas. So that's another area. And then third thing is we just really got to get innovative ideas to move things forward. Um, that's the thing. I don't have every solution. And there's limited what we can do, you know, for the federal VA or or how we can help active duty members members or things like that. But I want to actually put people together in the room uh, through a commission, through a task force, and say what are the areas we need to do. Whether it's reciprocity with other states when veterans come back, whether it's uh, fixing how our spouses treat it when they're in the state of Arkansas, things how their children treat it. One of the things I saw and I. I I was ecstatic about, and there might be actually something we already do here in Arkansas. Is Tennessee just passed a, or one of the Tennessee universities said, if you're a dependent of a veteran that died in combat, your children go to school at our college for free. Imagine if we had that for every veteran that died in the state of Arkansas for their families here. Mm-hmm. Um, that'd be great. That'd be the way to give back to them and take a little financial burden off them and say thank you for your service member um, sacrificing his or her life for our country. So ideas like that is what we need. Um, I don't have all the answers, but I, as a veteran myself, as my dad's a veteran who just retired 37 years in the military, um, I have a family full of veterans. Uh, we need to do all we can to move them forward, to make Arkansas be a destination. You know, we passed the uh, income tax um relief for veterans last time. There's controversy around that. It wasn't the best way to get it done, in my opinion, uh, even though I was a lead sponsor and very supportive of it. But at the end of the day, I think we made a difference for veterans, and we need to continue to do stuff like that. All right. What about uh, helping veterans with mental health and things of that nature? Is that all uh, a consideration of the federal government, or can some of that be things that we should think of on a state level as well? Well, it, when it comes to something like that, it's all about resources. How much money do we have to invest Correct. into that kind of thing? And when it comes to our veterans, you say, well, there, there can't be a number. But um, there has to be a balance between how much the federal government steps in. Because I, it's some of it's just an issue that you can only do so much for veterans before, you know, unfortunately, a large amount of our homeless population are veterans from their time in service, whether they have post-traumatic stress syndrome or mm-hmm. whether they have other mental or uh, physical issues drives them to it and you can do all you can to try to help them but um i would i would like to talk to colonel nate todd who's the director of the department of veterans affairs in arkansas and some of the other great people who work my fellow veterans in the house and the senate and see if there's any way we can do it i'm not an expert in mental health issues but having those people saying this is what i see actually works and distinguish for veterans and this is what the state of arkansas can do 
I think would be a great thing. Have you talked to the lieutenant governor at all about some of these thoughts? I have. Uh, lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin, I'm a full uh, big supporter of his. He's a great man and a great leader for the state of Arkansas. He's not only a veteran, but now he's actually still in the military. Yep. Um, he, I think, is going to lead the way um, moving forward on kind of how we address veterans' issues. Um, he's somebody that understands it in a in distinct fashion. If we put together some task force, uh, I, I think having somebody on the staff or him himself be part of it, either directly or indirectly, would be invaluable to all the veterans across Arkansas. And I, I would love to take the lieutenant governor's uh, input. Um, he's a, he's just one of those guys who really thinks outside the box and gets stuff done. So I think he'd be great. Yeah, I, I know nationally uh, when you get into Congress – there's not as many vets serving now as did back after World War II in Vietnam. Uh, what about here on the state level? Do we have a lot of vets that are uh, in the, the Senate and in the House? Well, we do. Um, the thing I've noticed is the majority of our veterans are still what I call the prior generation veterans. So whether Vietnam, like Senator Dave Wallace, who's in the Arkansas Hall of Fame, uh, mm-hmm. my colleague and a, a brave man. We have others who served as well, whether it's National Guard, like you know Representative House, who's in the JAG Corps for a long time. But what I think you're going to see in the next 10 or 15, 20 years, you have people who served my age, the millennials, the Iraqi Afghan veterans who are right. going to take more of a leadership role in this Iraqi kind of thing. freedom, things of that nature. Because okay. you got to think, you know, I was eighteen year old kid or twenty year old kid when I went over to Afghanistan. It takes time to mature. You got to come back, go to college. But those people are going to be future leaders, and we're going to see more and more of them as younger people sign up to go into uh, public service. Uh, you bring that perspective in. At the federal level, you're right, it's, it's moving slowly. But we have an, uh, a, a veteran, um, uh, Green Beret, running in Virginia, I believe. We have these guys who are coming across. We have Tom Cotton, obviously, yep. here in the state of Arkansas. And I think we, we, we have this is starting to happen where that perspective from serving in the military comes in. It's so invaluable or so valuable to a legislative process to have that um, when you're discussing you know life and death decisions when you've done that in, the, in combat and otherwise. All right, so let's talk a little bit about safe schools uh, you you have the safe plan. Just give us a, a few pieces of that that you've got worked out thus far. Sure. The, the safe plan stands for secure our schools, advance our right to carry, fix our broken mental health system, and enforce the laws we currently have in the book. If I can go through every single detail because I don't want to bore your listeners. No, you don't need to do all that. <laughs> yeah, of course not. Secure our schools. Hey, we need to arm teachers. We trust teachers with so much of our children's health, our kid, children's health, welfare and safety on a day-to-day basis they're the person who sees that kids has a running nose they're the person who is there with them every single day why would we not would we not allow them voluntarily to have a weapon to protect themselves and those kids mm-hmm. you have the recent story about the shooting that happened in the school and a coach actually grabbed the gun and tackled the guy you look at sandy hook where a prince where a, a teacher ran down the hallway toward an ar-15 to save children's lives and right. gave her life. I'm a veteran. I hope that if that ever happened to me, I'd be that brave. Imagine the bravery of that person if you put a gun in their hand. What would happen? Advance the right to carry. We need to lower our concealed carry fees. We need to expand the enhanced carry. And we need to look at open carry um, slash permitless carry in the state of Arkansas. I know that Act 746, there, there are some, uh, it, some things there, and there's people who are on both sides of it. Maybe we need to expand that or clarify that in the law. Fix our broken mental health self- system. Involuntary commitment, getting resources to it, make sure it happens, and finally enforce the laws on the book. We have a lot of laws in the books that need to be done. We have a system that we report where they talk to each other. And finally, we need to have an audit of our schools to see how their school safety plans are working. State Senator Trent Garner.
Look forward to uh, your re-election campaign, but I look forward to seeing you again up in the Capitol starting in January. We're only six and a half months away. <laughs> Thanks, David. It's great to talk to you. All right. Listening. Appreciate you coming by the Dave Ellswick Show tomorrow. We'll have J.R. Davis from the governor's office. Senator Tom Cotton will join us. And I'm going to see if Stephen Meeks, state representative, will stop by so that we can talk about broadband here in the state of Arkansas. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.